Gone Cannon watches House of the Dragon. Season 1, Episode 1, The Heirs of the Dragon. I'm one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. Here we are. Here we are. Actually, we are here together. You and I are together in a cute, cozy little apartment, living our best Rhaenyra and Alicent dreams across the narrow sea. I don't see us very much like Rainier or Allison together, but, um... Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're I right. hope not. I hope <laughs> we're not. Jesus. Uh, but, yes, so after Chloe's hard work the past few weeks, the past few months, it is all paid off in that the D has finally been unleashed. Oh, my God. It, she did this. I unleashed the D, if you haven't been listening. If you don't listen to us at all, if this is your very first Girls Gone Canon experience, because it's not TV, it's HBO, uh, mm-hmm. welcome. 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 We're, we're, we're happy to have you here. We cover the books, POV by POV, A Song of Ice and Fire, one character at a time. Right now, we just finished up with the prologue characters in A Song of Ice and Fire, who Ryan Condal is quoted as saying, I, I love, love prologues. prologues. <laughs> Amazing. Beautiful. Uh, this <sighs> week... Stay tuned for more of that. But <laughs> otherwise, we do like to cover uh, a few other things, like His Dark Materials, which will be coming back to HBO soon. And now House of the Dragon. I'm very excited. And we'll be starting brand Stark chapters up next, actually. It'll be a stark contrast to our weekly Hot D. It actually really will. But I think some of it might end up going together quite well based on some things that were discuss in this episode that we'll talk about a little, but... We have done several parts of the Dance of the Dragons, and by several, I mean we've covered the entire dance, from the front of the dance to the end of the dance, over at our Patreon, patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, where $5 and up patron tier members get to listen to bonus episodes every month. This month's will be Mothers of the Dragon, talking about the Mothers of the Dragons in Fire and Blood. And we're also doing a weekly discussion at our oh, yeah. Patreon, hosted by our friend Maddie. That will happen on Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. That's Eliana time, if you're ooh. listening. Ooh, ooh, that's you. And uh, we also have a monthly brunch, with this month's being 8-28, the Sunday of that next episode of House yes. of the Dragons. So join us, patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon. And if you're in that $10 up tier, you'll get Discord access, which is so exciting. Yes, and to clarify, I think our brunch is at 2 p.m., Eastern time on August 28th. Yes, as well. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, Eliana time. Eliana time. Chloe time, too. Mm -hmm. Indeed, welcome to our house of the dragon. Yes, in today's episode of House of the Gucci. (laughs) Our (sighs) house. Oh my god, in the middle of our Gucci. (laughs) Oh, okay. Uh, Let's talk spoiler policy. You're all wondering, what the fuck am I going to hear today on this podcast? Um, A lot. We're going to spoil anything and everything. What does that entail, Eliana? That entails everything from the five main books of A Song of Ice and Fire, anything from the World of Ice and Fire compendium book, as well as the Fire and Blood fake history, which I think might be of concern for some of you because House of the Dragon is based on Fire and Blood. It's also, there's also stuff in the World of Ice and Fire about it, but mostly Fire and Blood. 
Yeah, and if you've read the main A Song of Ice and Fire books, we do get shades of what's going on in this, to be fair. Like, we actually do have small shades, but just like Fire and Blood and how it's written from a few different, differing viewpoints, um, A Song of Ice and Fire is similar, that the POV that's talking about it or hearing about it might have a little slant on what they're saying and angle. Yes, but we will likely... And we will warn if we are talking about anything from the leaks, but most likely it won't be because... I didn't read them. I also didn't read them. So. So. <laughs> there's that. We don't... We're not doing that. <laughs> the only leaks you're going to hear are when I leak brilliant yeah. ideas on this podcast. I was going to say maybe because we might know the episode titles, but I don't know if those might be public knowledge by now because I know sometimes you have to report that stuff, right? I don't know. Yeah, I think some of them, if not all of them, are out for public by now. And I briefly have seen a list of what looked like leaked titles. Mm -hmm. I don't, I can't tell you what they are, like off the top of my head. Um, I haven't checked if they're confirmed or not. I guess I could check either. based on if that matches to this episode, but yeah, anyway. Yeah, I have not gone back to look at it. Of course, we will maybe talk a little bit here and there on production shots that we may have seen that came up around then. Not much, though. There's not much left to talk about because I feel like they're showing us so much in the actual production stuff that's yeah. coming out in the marketing that's been coming out because they spent, like, I think I heard they spent $100 million on marketing wow. this. Really? Damn. Yeah. Yeah, insane. HBO Damn. really wants this to be a powerhouse. and Of the dragon? Of Gucci? The dragon. <laughs> oh my god. I would say it, it feels like a powerhouse, for sure. It does, it does. And we will probably discuss stuff that we see in interviews. Yeah. Which, I mean, for the most part, because it is marketing, right? Like, they are trying to keep some of that under wraps. So, mm -hmm. one more warning. We have a trigger warning for this episode. Um, I'm sure many of you know that Game of Thrones was famous for having very controversial scenes uh, that depict a lot of violence in different ways and traumatic moments. This one, we will be talking about trauma and forced birth yeah. and violence against women. So, yeah, there's, there's violence against sometimes. men, too, in this episode. There is, there is. And we'll probably talk about that, too. Yes. You know, we're going to get right into it and... Huh. Not oh, for the not whiplash. Yeah, yeah, not I for the whiplash. It. We'll talk about our favorite parts first and then get to those parts. We yeah. are going to probably do this within a chronological order of how the yeah. episode aired. We're going to start at the top, head to the bottom, talk about each scene a little if we're interested, and I don't know, shitpost IRL? Yeah. What about your favorite parts, Eliana? Let's start with the good. Actually, like a lot of it was good, in my opinion. Um, what, what do you think is like, your big favorite part of the episode? I think my favorite parts are really Millie Alcock's acting as Rhaenyra in general. I know that doesn't like, that's more than one part. If I had to pick one, I think I really loved the like funeral pyre scene. Mm -hmm. I think she did like a fantastic job there. But in general, there was, there were a couple of other moments where you can just see her, where you can just see her do the, these fantastic like micro expressions, just like this so small softening of the face in response mm -hmm. to different things. And I think she's just doing a great job. Yeah, as far as, like, episode MVP, Millie Alcock is definitely up there. She is. We'll have to keep doing that every week. Who is our MVP? Mm. Millie Alcock's up there. I'm gonna, I guess I'm gonna do it from the front. I'm just gonna drop this one on you all at the front. I, Chloe from Girls Gone Canon, a noted Daemon Targaryen <laughs> hater. A noted hater of Daemon Targaryen. Oh my god, I think I love Daemon Targaryen He's now. What the fuck? I think we're seeing exactly the daemon that George wanted us to see, right? The daemon that has made 
him one of George's favorite characters. Like, mm-hmm. I think that George has said that Damon is his favorite character from Fire and Blood. And I think a lot of other people out there, you know, admittedly, like, they saw, like, our friends from Direwolf City, they love Damon. Mm-hmm. And they were right. They're, they're, he's doing a fantastic job as a character. And I think, honestly, I think Matt Smith's doing a great job also as him. I'm really amazed. In fact, uh, we'll, we'll talk about I guess one of my favorite scenes was definitely his Jamie Lannister 1993 yes. outline letter. Yes. If you haven't read the outline letter that George basically wrote when starting off the series of what he perceived the original trilogy, let yeah. that one sit on your tongue, the original trilogy <laughs> to look like. In that outline letter, Jamie Lannister is a little different, right? He's a little more bloodthirsty. He's killing heirs so that he can sit on the Iron Throne himself. There's a lot of Damon that kind of comes out in that, and I'm sure we'll get a chance to talk more about it in the coming weeks. We were, like you just said, hanging out with our girlfriends over at Dire Wolf City on YouTube. If you haven't checked them out, we'll link our video with them from last week. It was what we discussed, the Black Faction, which was very fun, and they had a lot of really great takes on Damon. I I will say also one more plug for them. We are recording this early Monday evening or so, so that we can catch their live streams, which will be every Monday evening on like at around 8 or 8.30 p.m. Mm -hmm. So be sure to tune in for their live streams. Yeah, I really uh, enjoyed talking about the the Jaime Lannister, Daemon Targaryen similarities from that outline letter, but Daemon sitting on that throne speaking Valyrian immediately, like not even... Yeah. Wasn't even a pause to make Valyrian come into the story, and it meshed so well. It was so smooth. Matt Smith, I mean, I'm used to Matt Smith as the doctor, and he's like a big wiggly, (laughs) like he's a piece of taffy, dude. I don't even, he's like Gumby, but human and British. I don't, he's very interesting to me, and so for him to play this somewhat menacing, charismatic, this rogue prince like this, and he's really owning it, and that was my MVP for the episode. He was probably one of my favorite parts, so we are actually two halves of a whole, Eliana, me and you. Never mind. Uh, (laughs) What is happening? (laughs) Uh, I ship it. You know, I can see we're going to talk about it, but I think it's a good ship now. Yeah, I mean, we're fucked. This, this... This show has fucked us up. <laughs> anyway, this story. But let's start way, way, way even before the story begins with the voiceover of the Great Council of 101. That was awesome to open with. It kind of waters down, so we open up to a very historic moment, right? And there's been a handful of adjustments just to make this a great, cold, open plot piece. First of all, we get to see King Jaehaerys. Wow. Amazing. He didn't talk. Yeah, it, I kind of felt bad for his actor. I was like, oh, they just had him be there and they were like, sit there, be regal and open up this little scrolly thing, which, you know, you save money when you don't have to pay someone to do lines. But he it, wasn't there in the books, to be fair. Like, this was totally an adjustment made to keep Jaehaerys in. And he was for on his, his age, bed. his time, he wasn't really... And he's not in his prime during this time. So it works that he doesn't speak, but it was a bummer. I wanted some regal. I know, right? I like that there was the scroll, though, right? Like, that's very classic Game of Thrones. There's a scroll with a message, a royal message on it that he unfurls. And that we got to see Harrenhal. That was exciting. It was in states of disrepair still from, you know, which kind of reminds you of the magnitude of the destruction from Aegon's conquest, right? That's, That's the power of dragons. And also it looked a little bit like, you know, my partner also said, 
they're really leaning into the Dark Souls aesthetic, which, as, <laughs> as you all know, George collaborated with Hidetaka Miyazaki mm-hmm. of from Software, and they made the game Elden Ring, and some of it does look a little like Elden Ring. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> a okay. little bit. I love it, though, because that's closer to his vision of what he wanted for this series, and now, of course, we have the money to kind of execute this vision, which is so exciting. And they, they water down, it's just Rainies versus... Viserys, right, for the Great Council. We don't have any other claimants brought in. No Lainor, no Lena. Yeah. It's just Viserys versus Rhaenys, which I think is a great way to uncomplicate the matter for the viewer. Like, not everybody is going to want to read Fire and Blood and understand the left-right succession. They're not going to start from the top and see Raina and understand the two queens of Aegon and what that kind of... Yep. I mean, that's a problem. It it is, it is, and we'll probably talk about this more in later episodes, but this is not the first time that the question of succession in terms of do we follow a male claimant or a female claimant happens, right? This is actually the second time that they ask, so do we follow Rainey's, so do we follow Rainey's claim or not? Because Mm -hmm. that woman has been through it, all right? (laughs) She's been through it, this is... Not our first rodeo, but obviously it hurt a lot. Yeah, and you can see that pain right from this scene. It's uh, something I think they did an impressive job of is every character, whether they are actually being given dialogue to speak, even if they don't have dialogue, you look at them and you see the nuances in their little motions. Like you mentioned with Millie Alcock, she has those slight, just little tinges that are so charming that make you really feel endeared to Rhaenyra's character right from the start and feel like, okay, that's our girl, cool. And even with Rainies and Corleys, like, their faces tell everything and their little just nuances and how they act towards one another throughout the episode. And I find that really great. Like, I, I didn't leave episode one with any questions about any character motivations. Yeah. You know, to talk a little bit about this succession issue as well, and we hear it in some of the interviews, right? And in some of the after, what is it called? After the show. I, yeah. I don't even remember what they are calling that segment right now, but... They specifically describe Viserys as someone who gets handed the throne, who doesn't really particularly want it, he's not an ambitious man, and he's like, meh, right, as a king. We find out he's like, meh. And I think that I'm glad that they chose this storyline to adapt, and this is, I don't remember if we talked about this during season 8 of Game of Thrones or not. That's important, right? We see that this idea of the reluctant ruler, everyone's always like, oh, they would make a great ruler or king because they don't want it. We saw that fail with Robert. We're seeing like the consequences of that with Viserys. And we see like, perhaps we'll, we'll likely see Rhaenys develop more as a character, but we'll see someone who's really smart, who would have been a fantastic ruler, but mm-hmm. the patriarchal like system and primogenitor of Westeros kept her from that position. Yeah. And it is something that Aegon won, like, he already was coming in and changing things. So no, maybe messing with current Westerosi standard from, you know, the Andals went this way. So he chose to kind of keep that inheritance as well, and he didn't go against the grain on that. But it really makes me mad, I'm like, bro, you already married two chicks. Like, you can't just be like, what if we have the next capable ruler in line rule? It's interesting because, like, he did it, right, by virtue of the firstborn son. Because Mm -hmm. his son, Aenys, was the one to inherit, right? Mm-hmm. Even though Aenys um, comes from the younger wife, Rhaenys, right? For This is very confusing. There's another Rhaenys, okay? Oh my god. There's a, another Rhaenys during the conquest, right? Aenys is the son... Not Aenys, sorry. 
Yeah, Aenys. Aenys. Aenys um, was the son from the younger wife, but is older than Maegor, the son of the elder wife. So it doesn't flow at all that way through mm-hmm. the mothers. And then don't get us started on Aenys, because Aenys oh then god. has... Oh my god. Hey, if We you... will one day... Likely because we have to talk about this. Yeah, Reina, our daughter. Like we mentioned up top, we actually talked really in length about the dance over at our Patreon for bonus episodes. If you're in the stranger tier and above, and we're going to talk a lot more. I think about Reina, uh, who I'm I'm very fond of. You're very fond of. I know we yeah. love Reina Targaryen, and we're going to talk more about her place and role when it comes to this succession crisis and her children. Um, I, I, that is kind of a sad thing for me. I wish we got Reyna in this. I know it doesn't work, but I do wish we had Reyna. I want a show with Reyna. Yeah, I absolutely... I, I don't know... There's a way it could work. I just don't know how it would yet. But we'll see. We'll see. Anyway, so we get this fascinating voiceover during the explanation of the Great Council. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure this is Emma D'Arcy. They're the actor that plays older Rhaenyra. Yes. As we get the time jump. Um, so it sounded like Emma D'Arcy doing the voiceover because Rhaenyra in the voiceover is talking about her father. And we get the, the line, uh, such a great line. The only thing that could tear down the house of Gucci, I mean the house <laughs> of the dragon, was itself. That is what happens in the house of Gucci, though. Uh, it's the same, same show. It's the same fucking show, <laughs> you guys. Neither of us have seen it, but it's the same movie. It's also it's all it's it's real life, so we kind of know what happens in the real life House of Gucci, just mm-hmm. like we know what happens in House of the Dragon to an extent because of the fire and blood, which is but, also real life. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> this is a real history. Uh, they do this great titling, this title slide of 172 years before Daenerys, basically, which I think yes. is. I mean, it's smart. It gives context. It reminds everybody where we are, when we are. I love that, and as if. You thought they weren't going to ball out with Hall from the very front, which, you know, maybe they shouldn't bother fixing it up, because I have really bad news about what they have to do later on the season to it. Um, <laughs> so maybe don't spend your money, your resources, and taxes fixing up Hall, guys. But to contrast that, we then get the big money shot, right? Because we open up with Rhaenyra flying Syrax over and into King's Landing. And this is just... If you've watched Game of Thrones, if you love A Song of Ice and Fire... This is just porn. Like, this is basically just straight-up fantasy porn. Like, I watched this, my mouth open. I was like, what? This is beautiful. It was a wonderful, uplifting opening. Um, You know, you started out with that shot above the clouds, and I love that. I love that it's really, from the get-go, establishing, like, this is a different layer, in many ways, literally, Mm -hmm. right, of this story. You're going to see much more of the dragons, right? And they're they're giving them to us piecemeal. I guess some some of them pronounce it as Cyrax, but it's going to be hard to break out it. So I might end up saying Cyrax. So whatever. Whatever. And I, I there's this just beautiful, like, absolute joy to the way that it opens up. It does feel a little Disney-esque, but then obviously because everyone kind of knows what to expect of the series now they they don't stay there very long they don't yeah. stay in that mood that long it's very idealized right like yeah. you walk in um i i love it because we get alicent arriving on carriage and so there's already from the very start two very distinct ways to characterize these two that alicent has arrived on carriage she is not the blood of the dragon she's not flying a dragon into king's landing that is not for her rhaenyra however is and alicent you know they they have a little 
little friend flirt going on where when she lands, she says, wow, Syrax is fucking huge. She's going to hmm. eat 80 people soon. And Rhaenyra's yeah. like, yeah, you should come with me. Like, that saddle is going to be fit for two. And she's like, no, yeah. I can't do that. And and then she looks her up and down. <laughs> yeah, that, that is important, actually. I did feel I did feel queer like, baited okay, the whole okay, episode. Rhaenyra. The whole episode. Uh, I do, I love, I'm really loving the way they're taking their characters, yes. which I'm sure in the Godswood we will chat yes. on. But there's something about, like, as Rhaenyra lands, and she's so free and spirited, and she can just take her dragon anywhere. At the same time, in the background, the dragon tamers are putting Syrax back into the dragon cave, right? And I know our yeah. friends Ionius actually translated it, you had said, right? Well, J- just just some of it, just two of the words, because Zionius was wondering why one of the words, I think, was Daher. Ra, right, Dehera, meaning serve, and so one of the commands given to Syrax is obey, serve Syrax, and apparently they don't mean serving those looks. <laughs> Which Syrax was. Yes. Truly, truly. Um, and we'll talk about the color of Syrax being kind of interesting in a bit, but yeah, I don't know, I was just like, it makes me think of when dogs or cats are being disobedient, but <laughs> dragons are way scarier. <laughs> It's interesting that they're saying serve and obey because even though Rhaenyra is so free-spirited, her dragon still has to be put into a cave at the end of the day, into a Mm. cavern where he's watched over by keepers and dragon tamers. And at that same time, as she's hopping down off Syrax, Harold Westerling says to her, I thought this was very interesting, he says to her, every time that dragon brings you back unspoiled, it keeps me from losing my head, princess. And Alicent, of course, we already know that Alicent is confined kind of to this traditional life in Westeros, right? She Mm -hmm. unfortunately has to live by these rules of the patriarchy where Rhaenyra seems to get a little bit of bandwidth around them, thanks to the blood of the dragon, right? Thanks to being royal. Not a ton, but a little bit. But they're both, like, caged, right? Like, Syrax is still caged. And Harold saying that, like, every time that dragon brings you back unspoiled, I get to keep my head. (laughs) Um... So what kind of spoiling happens on Dragonback, and who else rides a dragon that may spoil Rhaenyra? Hmm. 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 Well, we'll talk about that in a second. I also like Rhaenyra's clothing in that. It do- it reminded me a little of some of Daenerys' costumes mm-hmm. previously. Great styling. I love that it's like proto-Daenerys for that, right? Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's great that they got to carry some of those... Things like the the collar and the sleeve being carried yeah. from Daenerys's outfits and back to show this is what her ancestors wore. Yeah, I like it. I do like it. It makes a great continuation of like, is she paying homage to her ancestors, right, or trying mm-hmm. to? Yeah, with her clothing, which is, I get that. I get absolutely get that. Trying to be a conqueror. Well, have connection to the family when you don't really know them and a homeland. Them. It's it's something that I think is relatable for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Here's yeah. something else relatable. How great is the next scene? Oh my god, dude. I'm When they panned upwards on the Red Keep. Wow! And then when they panned inwards and downwards, and we see that map room that has no map now. Sorry, Cersei. Oh, that's right. Um, it doesn't have the map, yeah. Cersei thought it was a great design choice. You know, she's like, I'm really into interior design this season. It's it was a great gorgeous and everything's yeah. bustling and alive like outside of king's landing even if you like slow it down and you look down when the carriage is riding through the hills and you like see all the people there's a moment where the carriage like impedes on the sidewalk quote unquote which no roads by the way i thought jaharis did something yeah, about that but okay fucking okay. failure um 
<laughs> what happened to that? But there's like people on the sidewalk area and they like jump back at the carriage. And it's something that if you don't stop and take the time to look at, you won't notice. But there's a purpose for every extra in the background and people with parasols wandering around and merchants in the street. It's, it's in a live King's Landing. Inside there are maids carrying flowers off maid servants and and people running around the red keep doing things it's bustling it's alive it's glorious it is it's really actually very heartwarming again this doesn't last that long but i love also they've got the public art right they have random like dragon statues around and i'm like that feels like a real city actually i know real cities and they have random ass statues all over and as you said right it's just wonderful seeing the red keep so alive and it, there were moments when it was kind of like that, right? Even during the reign of Robert Targaryen. But mm-hmm. Game of Thrones didn't have the budget yet those first few seasons. And in the later ones, it's a little less... It's less alive because it's a darker time and they've been in war for a long time. And also they were like, it's serious. <laughs> we're gritty. Welcome to the Game of Thrones verse. <sighs> it is still gritty, but... Yeah, I did, like... But now we're in Philadelphia, different gritty. Oh my god, exactly. <laughs> Gotham itself. Oh my god. Uh, it did feel gritty in some aspects, and there's very much... I mean, it felt like a return to Westeros, but Westeros got such a bigger budget, and it's beautiful. And Yeah, yeah it was... I love the budget. I love budget. <laughs> I love budget now. I, love I can't budget. help how much I love budget. And... Not just loving budget, but loving lore and attention yes. to lore and details. Um, so another significant, like, probably our runner-up for episode MVP there beyond our two picks is probably Emma Aaron. Yes. Right? Emma Aaron uh, being introduced at all. I did not expect to see Emma Aaron. If this was Game of Thrones, Emma Aaron would not have existed. Emma Aaron, you would have seen that off screen. Like, that would have yeah. been, like, we just talk about it in bad dialogue. This was... It would have started, like, after Emma, Aaron, etc., right? Like, that was yeah. all done. Which, uh, to, to to the defense of Game of Thrones, like, I mean, they did start, right, mm-hmm. when the first book started, which was also after many of the mothers had died. And we're going to see, I guess, uh, one perspective on that right now. But, yeah, Emma, Aaron, I mean, Emma, Aaron, right at the beginning, also at the council, and then here, and... We were eaten. She gets a lot of hairstyles yeah she got a handful of hairstyles she got a couple little outfits um the third one not as cute you know unfortunately but that's that's life uh her actress is actually was in sherlock she's elizabeth holmes you know continuing the super hulak going on if you're familiar that was a joke i'm so sorry but it does i don't know why i do think of them (laughs) they're not in the same place tumblr did i know they're not uh, those Tumblr kids have lied to you. They she's have. also in Good Omens. She's Deirdre Young, I think. I um, but yeah. she's very talented, and the wig is definitely, it threw me off from recognizing her. Absolutely. And I love her introduction to Rhaenyra. Again, all these character motivations were clear right from the jump. She tells Rhaenyra, this discomfort, me, pregnant as fuck, laying in this chair, this chair, that's gonna be you soon. This is how you're gonna serve the realm. And she just looks at her, Arya Stark style. No, that's not me. <laughs> she basically does say that, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's fun. It's interesting. And it really gives you a great idea of who Rhaenyra is. And it also shows how warm her connection is to Emma. Like, for her to be that open with mm-hmm. Emma about what she wants and to feel like she can do that, I think, 
it's it's a wonderful establishing scene and then we hear more of their conversation later relayed by emma but also as some of our patrons have pointed out you get some of that language from catelyn stark especially in speaking with brienne about what Rhaenyra should be expecting. Yeah, about how the birthing bed is their battlefield, which becomes quite literal as we toss yes. it against the only battlefield that this generation knows, which is the tourney yard. I yeah. mean, they don't have wars, thankfully, because Jaehaerys did away with all the wars. I'm just kidding. Um, we'll see how I well mean, that kinda. comes. Yeah. We'll see how good that comes for them. I One of my favorite things in this little conversation they have is she kind of says to her at the end, she's like, well, and go take a bath. You stink of dragon. And to give you kind of an understanding of who Emma comes from, Emma Aaron is the granddaughter of Jaehaerys and Alysanne, good Queen Allie. And she comes from Daea Targaryen's line, their daughter Daea. Paea Targaryen. <laughs> delicious with rice. And Paea, Daea Targaryen, <laughs> God damn it, Eliana. Daea Targaryen is like a very sweet, girl. She's very soft, very prone to being scared of things, and she ends up getting married. Uh, Jaehaerys forces the issue. He says, if you don't find her a husband by the end of this year, and this poor girl is like, she just can't marry anyone. They're all scary to her. She's also quite young still. She's she's still like, I think 15, 16. Yeah, she's very young, and that, that plays a role in what happens to her as well. We'll talk about that in a second. Yeah, she is so young, and Jaehaerys kind of pushes it. If you don't do it by the end of the year, I will make the call, or I'll send her off to be a silent sister. He basically threatens. So Alysanne gets three men that she finds that are, like, the least scary or at least kind. And, I mean, Daea ends up choosing Roderick Aaron, who is very kind, very loving. And Daea gets pregnant. She actually sends her mother the saddest message. She, like, sends for her, and she's like, Mother, please come. I'm so frightened. I'm pregnant. I'm so frightened. And um, Alysanne comes and attends her, and then she has the baby, and she dies after having the baby. And it's Emma Aaron. That baby grows up to be Emma Aaron. Uh, it's so sad because Jaehaerys and Alysanne have this huge fight after, and Alysanne's like, she didn't even need to get married. Why did we do this? Why did we yeah. do this to her? She wasn't ready. Why did we make her? She wasn't emotionally or physically ready to go through with this. We have 80 other heirs that all die. Uh, but we had like 800 other heirs. Why did we make her do this? And then for Emma Aaron, her entire arc in this episode to tell her daughter, you know, this is what you're to do. This is what I was to do. And this is what you will be too. And then for her to basically go in a similar fashion to how her mother went. And for Rhaenyra's line to become that much more important, right? Like, that, that to me makes Rhaenyra's story, especially starting here at this point and how they frame this episode, her plotline that much more important to follow. Absolutely. And that's, as you said, right? Alison had had several, several children, right? Many she years. had like probably as many children as Emma Aaron had miscarriages and stillbirths or something. Like if, if you combine all that and including the living children, like, it was a lot. They had, there were a lot of Targaryens. It, as you said, it was unnecessary. And, you know, they talk a lot about, people will always justify within a lot of these books and series, they'll be like, oh, women and girls were married off like very young back then because they were trying to have children very young. And that isn't necessarily always true because especially among the lower classes, they wanted 
people more established when running a household because they would kind of be on their own. So people weren't always getting married that young unless obviously the political marriages, right? There's a need mm-hmm. for them. They feel that urgency in order to seal alliances, but they didn't need to seal an alliance. They'd established their power. And part of the reason you don't have children that young is because, as you said, the the teenage body isn't fully developed yet and can't necessarily always handle childbirth. The hips aren't as wide or ready yet and the same with the birth canal it's like not necessarily ready and it's not always safe and not to mention like sometimes that body never is ready like that doesn't always happen like sometimes it just won't happen and the westerosi breeding machine needs to be stopped um I don't know. The the one the, the happier part of this though I will say is when she tells Rhaenyra that she stinks of dragon and to go wash up. Yeah. Um it's kind of cute cuz it makes me think of Daya because Daya would never have climbed a dragon. And at the very front Rhaenyra says to her, well she tells Rhaenyra I hate when you fly when I'm in this condition and she's like you always hate when I fly. <laughs> oh mom, it's that very Daya. It's also a very mom thing I mm-hmm. think to be like I hate when you do whatever, but maybe that's just me and my mom. She's like yeah. I don't like when you do don't well, if Rainey's was your mom, things. that would be different. She'd be like, yeah, go, you need to be flying. Yeah. Your dragon needs to probably. know that you love it, bitch. <laughs> you need to let everyone know that you have this power, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely a different mother. And, of course, the best cut is after this scene. Well, actually, I do want to mention, too, Alicent is in that scene, which, to me, all I was watching, it, I was like, oh, yeah, Alicent, this puts you in a pretty shitty position, huh? It was awkward. It was awkward. Like, hello, ma'am, Mrs. Royal, ma'am, queen. I'm supposed to suck your husband's dick after you die. Yeah. Shit! I think that's part of what makes that so much more awkward later on, right? And like mm-hmm. that that's the point. Because she's like, this is my best friend's mom. And she's nice to me. Yeah. You know? Like, it's weird. It's weird. But it's, <sighs> it's what it is. And as you said, right? They talk about the smell of dragon. I've asked, what does dragon smell like? And people have given forth a lot of answers. I like the idea of sulfur because it means, do they smell like rotten eggs slash farts? Mm, mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. interesting because of the volcanic activity. And also someone said, like, I don't know, a rancid reptile thing and nuclear. And like, that makes sense to me. But also I have no idea what any of those things smell yeah, like. I don't know what that's <laughs> I don't know what like a reptile cage smells like. I like the idea of sulfur, like sulfurous. Yeah. Makes sense to me. Kind of mystical. Bad bad. and mystical. Yeah. Um, Well, and she shows up to the small council right after this, and I love it because her dad immediately goes, you smell like dragon. And she's just like, "Mm mm-hmm. She did not take a bath like her mom told her (laughs) to. She would have been even more late, right? Yeah, she was late. And again, very Arya, right? She's constantly late or fucking off through this episode. Lots of Arya vibes. It's cute. I see why uh, Millie Alcock read Arya lines for her audition. Yes. It's so obvious. We were told, and we'll get to this, that Millie Alcock read Arya lines, and Alicent was given Cersei lines to read. I find that interesting. I do, too. They should have given her Catalan lines. Anyways. (laughs) For her and her hoster, Tolly-ass father. Fuck. Damon's absent from the small council, so very Oberyn. Right off the jump, he's busy playing with his god squad, and (laughs) the conversation moves to the heir's tournament. Maester Mellows, who loves astrology, he's been poring over moon charts, he's like, what if we wait until we have an heir before we throw a really expensive heir tourney? And Viserys is like, no, literally, A, we're getting an heir, so calm down. B, half the country is on their way, so we can't really cancel this now. Honestly, there are a lot of things that I was like, shut the fuck up, Maester Mellows. But he was kind of right. He was like, maybe we should wait before... 
Also, let your wife recover. You know, if if this had gone well. Yeah, like imagine if it was a whole family ordeal. Like, let someone recover. I I read the art. Am I the asshole subreddit a lot? Yeah, there's a lot of this there. There's so much of this there. They're like, I don't want my in laws here yet. Please, I just want to rest. I just Mm -hmm. gave birth. Anyway, well, that's this is medieval times, so it's a different time, (laughs) Ellie. Well, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I guess they had a household, right, to entertain people. That does make a difference. Having a household makes a difference when mm-hmm. your in-laws are there. That's sure. very true. That's very true. <laughs> I have in-laws, so I get that. <sighs> I do think it might have been smarter to wait. Like, I yeah. mean, like when Jaharis pulls the Simba moment with, was it, which one was it? Was it Eamon or Balin? I don't know. Whatever kid Jaharis holds up Simba style, you know, when the crowd roars. I feel like you should have waited. It would have been Eamon because Eamon was yeah, born first. Eamon. Eamon was the second child. So, yeah. I, I just feel like maybe you should have waited as a unified front because you're stronger together, right? You're like your lady wife. Yeah. Well, I guess none of this matters what I think because, you know, she dies. And for context, Eamon Targaryen, second born of Jaehaerys and Alysanne, would be the father of Rhaenys, mm-hmm. um, married to Jocelyn Baratheon. Yep, he married Jocelyn, so... The queen who never was, but she's the queen to me. Same. Meanwhile, Damon is committing some mild, casual treason. <laughs> well, what is the term for arrested development? Light treason. Light treason. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, if Viserys had walked in, he'd be like, Damon loves family. Michael yeah. loves family. Uh, <laughs> he's just chilling on the throne. Jamie Lannister, 93 outline. And he speaks Valyrian. It's sexy. I don't know why I'm feeling this way. I don't want to talk about it. But he's all speaking to Valyrian to Rhaenyra, his niece, before giving her a very, very sexy Valyrian steel necklace, which he pulls out of her hands when he first offers it to her. And then he's like, let me put it on you. And so you got the whole, you know, hand on neck vibe going. He said turn around. And as we find out later on, Damon does like hitting it from the back. Oh my god. No, but like I'm being being kind of serious. He didn't really like it when he was hitting it from the back later. It's his preferred position, I guess, is what what it seems to be. But also it's a sexually charged scene. Mm -hmm. Not because of the speaking, but when he asks her to turn around and the way she removes the necklace. I don't know. But the reason we're saying that is because they get married later. We said we were doing all spoilers. They get married later. Now you all know. Sorry. And some other they, stuff. They also have children. They also have um, children. <laughs> yeah. Before then, too. They do some stuff. Uh, the the necklace and the fact that she... That's, like, very metaphorical, I feel like, that she's removing the necklace, the old necklace, the necklace of her childhood, right? Yeah. And trading it for this powerful piece of her ancestry, right? This yes. piece of Valyrian steel, which a lot easier to come by then than now, obviously, in modern Aeswath. But he was always bringing her gifts, we hear, from the free cities and from the east in Fire and Blood, it says. So this was a great little aspect to explore. And her choosing, you know, at the very beginning of this episode, she doesn't have as many choices to choose from. But at the end of the episode, she's kind of a pretty solidly important-er figure than she already was. I feel like that change of necklace, that loss of innocence that's coming, that was important. And it kind of looks a little bit like a chain, right? Because mm-hmm. suddenly she gets chained into this position of ancestry. The Rhaenyra that we see in this show also doesn't seem like she necessarily wants to throw. And it seems like because she idolizes her uncle, mm-hmm. she actually kind of wants to be very much like him. She's like, I want to go across the narrow sea and I'm going to get my own fucking presents. Yeah. Which, do it for yourself, girl. I see you. <laughs> Good for you. That's interesting because the next scene is the godswood. Yeah, and, and that'd be good. That's perfect. That's such a great... Yeah. Oh. 
It's so sad. Okay, so Rhaenyra and Alicent's friendship, they did a bunch of aging up. And I'm going to be really honest with you. I don't care. And aging like, down for Alicent. And aging down for Alicent. Yeah, I don't really care. Like, I think it makes better tension in storytelling. I think Same. it's it's an overall better choice. I mean, I was trying to explain this to my husband and your partner last night, right? <laughs> About, like, when, you, especially when you're, like, a younger girl, you have friendships that, like, are just, and when you are young, like, when you're a preteen teenager, everything's dramatic. When you're a Targaryen teenager, I bet everything is ten times more dramatic from what we've seen, the way George writes them. Uh, but when you're a teenager, everything is full of passion and electricity and drama, and every heartache is the worst heartache you've ever had. And I remember, like, my very first, I don't know, really passionate friendship that opened me up. Like, 13. You know, we've all seen 13, right? Evan Rachel Wood. Uh, it's like 13 when you get a really interesting first friendship that you care about them so passionately where, like, the betrayals are that much more dramatic. And so kind of evening these ages out, aging up, aging down, I think it brings a great tension to it. And it's going to be really sad as we get along with this story and see them torn apart and the wedge put between them by the society they live in. And them laying in the godswood with Rhaenyra's head in Alicent's lap, reading about Nymeria. Um, are they? <laughs> they're, you know. They're roommates. Roommates. <laughs> they're roommates. They're just roommates. We're being queer-baited, all right. We're being queer-baited. And we know we are. And everyone, it's not just us, right? People, people who have never experienced this part of the story and this mater- source material, right? Mm-hmm. They're getting the same vibes, right? And I think... Not just, like, what you're saying about, like, the intensity, which is absolutely part of it. It, it, As you said, it makes a great dramatic choice for the way those... Because the betrayals are just going to hurt a lot more. Mm -hmm. And also, as you said, the way they get torn apart. And that's something that this series wants to dig into when it comes to how patriarchal systems do tear women apart. And yes, our main showrunners are Ryan Condell and Michael Sapochnik, but their writer's room has been intentional about making sure that there are women in the writer's room who are leading with some of this for this series. Yeah, it really shows. Um, It really shows just even in the conversation they have, especially since we haven't gotten quite all of the tensions that that will grow between them when it comes to Kristen Cole and Damon. Like, that's just kind of starting, starting. So, you know, the conversations that they have, she talks about how she wants to you know, take off to the narrow sea and eat cake with Syrax and Alicent. Uh, and as, as we said just now, like, it's a little like Damon, but it actually reminds me a little bit about, you know, speaking of really close friendships, the proposal that Robert gives Ned. He's like, Ned, mm-hmm. let's just leave our families and run away and go be swords in yeah. the in Essos. And that's like, dude, I have a family and responsibility. You you also have a lot of responsibility in a family. And he's like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> he's like, you're a king, bro. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, for Allison and Rhaenyra, I mean, that's kind of still an option. Maybe not for mm-hmm. Allison, but it is an option for Rhaenyra to an extent. And I think there's something in it that's really... She's a foodie. She's a foodie. <laughs> She's a foodie. Uh, me too, I love cake. I'm I know. So <laughs> I was like, yeah. God, we're going to see this mirror come back for this, right? Because in Fire and Blood, Kristen Cole allegedly, we don't know the truth. We're going to find out the truth. We're going to find out. The Game of Thrones truth, at least, of this story. It might not be the Song of Ice and Fire gospel truth, but it's all I have, so I'm going to take it. 
in Fire and Blood, Kristen Cole comes to Rhaenyra, you know, and it's like, come on, let's leave, let's leave. We have to run to the free cities. I have a ship waiting. We'll get out of here. We can just go be together. And she's like, bro, I can't leave now. Like, that, things were different. Now I'm next in line to be the queen, and I've got crap to do. I can't just leave. And here, that's what she says to Allison, right? She's like, we could just leave. And Allison's like, no, I really can't leave, <laughs> Rhaenyra. I can't just go. Just burn her dad, Rhaenyra. Just burn Allison's dad. Nobody likes him. But... Could have changed the story a little. Honestly, that's, I think that would actually, that would literally fix the story. You know, um, mm. when we were on Direwolf City, someone asked, what advice would you give Rhaenyra? Burn Otto Hightower ahead of time. And <laughs> ahead of time? <laughs> I love, I love that we find out that Rhaenyra is actually, she is very smart, right? She knows all this stuff. She's just kind of giving off this sort of like easygoing vibe, right? Mm-hmm. She's just trying to, She's just trying to make her way, but... And also, you pointed this out before we recorded, but, you know, this discussion of how does Rhaenyra feel about whether or not her mother is giving birth to a son. Yeah, uh, there's a great little argument, right? Alicent is like, you obviously are in a bad mood because I know all your moods, because that's literally my only job, because I'm unemployed otherwise. Um... So as your companion, you seem in a bummer mood. Is this about the fact that your dad's really hyped about having a male heir being born to your mother? And Rhaenyra shrugs this off. She's like, no, I'm just busy. I want to be a warrior and go fighting. I don't care about any of that. I don't care about it at all. Later, we get kind of this chat with Viserys and Emma in the bathtub where she says, oh, you should have heard Rhaenyra earlier. She was like, so I've named the girl already. Her name's Visenya, and I've chosen an egg, and it looks a lot like Vagar's egg. Uh, straight up, she tells the series that. So I feel like there's a contrast there that she's telling Alicent, no, I don't actually give a fuck, but she does give a fuck. Just a little. I think she cares in the way that I don't think she's that concerned about being the heir per se, so much as she wants her father's love and approval. Mm-hmm. And a boy will change that. A boy would change that because then suddenly she loses the chance of her father's love because I think she just assumes that Damon's going to be the heir regardless. Even mm-hmm. if the next child is a daughter, she's like, it's still just not going to be me probably based on the council ruling, etc. That's where we, I think we'll see a little bit of that tension that comes in at the end of the episode, right? Because... What's kind of fun is the way that they've made Rhaenyra, now she is actually the same. You get, an, you get a look at what happens if you get a woman who's a reluctant ruler, who didn't necessarily want it mm-hmm. in that way, and she wanted that freedom. And this is also based on some of the things that Millie Alcock and Emma Darcy were saying of like Rhaenyra feeling forced into motherhood, and we'll obviously get to that in later episodes and towards the end of this episode a little, but... She only wants to be heir in that it is a signifier of her father's approval. Yes, yes. And that's, I don't know. I mean, no one wants to be fucking bred. No one wants to be bred, and everyone wants to be loved by their parents. Yeah, those are very fucking normal, foundational human being feelings. We're born with those feelings, which I love how human this shit gets. Oh, it's so good. Um, let's talk more about Emma and Viserys in a moment. I do want to gloss over Viserys's weeping sore. It's the literal one, not the succession. But, um, <laughs> it, it's basically that. Yeah. And interesting, we have this weeping sore now, and Otto definitely knows about said weeping sore, and so does Maester Mellows. So you have two people that know about this sore that may or may not be, you know, the end 
at some point mm-hmm. for the series. Um, Interesting. Oh. I'm guessing this has something to do with his end now that maybe because they have yeah. they said we have not been able to close it. This has been ongoing. They talk about cauterizing the wound. Again, all a metaphor. This is all a giant fucking metaphor. Doesn't they say to just do it? Yeah, and and it it's rotting, as you it's said. It's rotting. It's rotting and it's a metaphor for that. It's also a, a little bit of like just cauterize it, just just get it over with. And mm-hmm. I, for me, I think that has a little bit to do with Damon. Mm-hmm. But his weeping sore is definitely very Damon. That's one aspect, and then also funny enough, they're like, "Oh man, the the pregnancy has been so hard on the series," <laughs> and I'm like, "Fuck off!" Emma is right there, and literally Emma is right there in the bathtub. Yeah, in the next scene, someone who's literally suffering. There's that bit in the beginning, right? She says that her bath water is not. He touches her water. He's like, "This this water sucks. This is cold as yeah. fuck water." And she's like, "Yeah, I'm not allowed to have." water hotter than that from the maesters and i think that that is a fantastic detail that shows us what we can expect in a little bit because the maesters don't prioritize emma's comfort or her life if they won't even give her the small things they're not going to give her the big things like Mm -hmm. uh her life and again comfort and not feeling enormous pain and it's funny because viserys does seem to trust that emma would know what's best for her because he's like uh dragons need hot water and we know that that's right because we saw Daenerys lower herself into like ba- practically boiling water in the original series. Yes, they seem to have some sort of what's the <laughs> word? They're not fireproof, but they're fire resistant. Yes, fire res- heat resistant. These Targaryens come with heat resistance. Uh that whole bit of agency like she can't even have control over how her bathtub is and the maesters it's sad right there it's not best for the son for their child so in that moment you know it's not about emma aaron's life anymore it's about the child's life uh he tells her of this dragon dream i would call it right like i think it's a dragon dream personally that he has of his prince that is promised from her womb uh the dragons all roar as one as this prince comes out of her with Aegon's crown on and he places him on the throne. That's an interesting dragon dream mixed with some of prophecy that we're going to talk about today at some point. And the one thing that really stood out to me is we know from some of the teaser shots and we know from the story, Alicent gets knocked up, right, by Viserys a few times. And as she goes along, I mean, I would say she's very close with him. Uh, We'll talk about the scene they share later that actually is kind of an authentic and genuine, intimate kind of scene. I think they will get a closeness, and I think that she will learn about this dream from Viserys. That he will tell her, you know, I once had a dream, and I thought it was Emma and her son, but maybe it's you with our son. Maybe he'll say something like that to her, but Alicent's going to know about this dream. Because, I mean, think about Aegon too. Whose crown does he wear? That's so true. And I think I think you're right that he's gonna tell her because I mean there's some there's some trust being built in them in this and as we know a lot of prophecies get misinterpreted, so mm-hmm. the thundering of hooves and the dragons roaring as one, he thinks that it's celebration. But um Sounds no, like a dance. Turns out <laughs> Turns out this dream is about war, probably. I mean, kinda sounds like also the yeah, tiny. it sounds oh. like the Dance of the Dragons, really. What? The thundering of hooves and wings. 
Well, 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 Eliana, how about you stick around for this whole season and I'll teach you what it is. Oh my gosh. I'll teach you the dance of the dragons. Oh my gosh, it's a square dance. Uh, Where (laughs) did they come from? Where did they go? Damn, of Valyria, it got old. What? (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about other things that, um... I had a more cheerful note. Damon this is and not his more God cheerful. Squad. Jesus Christ! Uh, we're back in Flea Bottom. That was yeah. that, that Flea Bottom scene. So we get Damon and his God Squad fucking up peasants. He's taking the law into his own hands. He's got that thin gold line with the gold cloaks going on. I don't know. Yeah, Damon is just out there. He's gelding people, murdering them. He's like, "You're a murderer. You're a rapist. I'm gonna take your dick off and then murder you." What? That, behead yeah. you. Why didn't he what just behead, behead them first? Because he wanted them to suffer for their crimes. Oh, okay, of course. Sorry, I, my you bad. You wouldn't understand. I, You're I, not a Damon Targaryen stamp. I would not understand because also I, I do not like to suffer. <laughs> and, well, that can't be true because here I am doing this trip as a podcast, huh? But, yes, yeah, so you have some of that uh, gender-based violence against, you know, this, this man and his genitals and, you know, reminding you a little of, I guess, Theon? I don't know. Oh, yeah, a little bit. I mean, this definitely felt like the edgy scene that corporate was like, come on, man, you got to keep some violence. But also, it, it's perfect to establish Damon and yes. show that, like, when Damon needs to punch his frustrations out, he goes to the small folk. Um, this is also, as we find out in, in kind of the next scene, because they're mad about him doing this, <laughs> they hired him to do this because they have shoved him around from every job post. And maybe Damon's just not great at his job. I've worked with people before that have had like eight different titles in different departments in I the company. I think he's too effective at his job. I mean, yeah, he's, what's that line? He's They're like, do you have to kill all the small folk to establish what you're trying to establish? And he's like, maybe. Yeah, they're like, are you going to do half of that? And he's like, am I? <laughs> Pretty much, he's like, might have to, or so I don't know. But it was well delivered. It was great. And I mean, you know, he's just like, I want to go above and beyond. And everyone was like, this is too much. <laughs> roll it, pull it back. back. Pull it back. Pull it back. Pull it back. Pull it back. We see the, we see the enthusiasm. They didn't like him as master of coin. They didn't like him as what? Master, master of laws. Of laws. Yeah. They didn't like him at, well, that makes sense. Uh, <laughs> those are all things that make sense to me. Uh, they didn't like him in those roles, and they gave him this one, and he excels at it, and they punish him. This is bullshit. Poor Damon. You I know? really, yeah, I really do think though, and we'll get workers' rights for Damon. He could have been, he could have maybe been a good hand if Viserys was willing to also be a strong king, king, yeah. and they both would complement and pull each other back. Yeah, because I mean, they're Doran and Oberyn. They literally are. Literally. They literally are Doran and Oberyn, but... Viserys is out here making bullshit decisions in the middle every single day, and I'm like, Doran, please, it's not worth your vengeance. Yeah, they are literally Doran and Oberyn if Doran and Oberyn were bad at communicating their feelings to each other. Yeah. Because I was like, wait, hold on, Doran is bad at communicating his feelings, but not to Oberyn. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, as we see in this episode, I mean, at that same token, they are poor communicators with one another. Um, And I will say Damon's armor is really sick. He looks, we were just talking about this. Matt Smith's not like a bulky guy. You know, he's um, a little lean and he looks great in the armor. He does not look unlean. He doesn't look that, he looks kind of strong in like those scenes where he's completely naked. (laughs) Yes. Yes. He looks thick. Maybe one C. I don't know. Looks good. And, and that's the next scene, right? Like, Damon is fucking Miss Arya. And 
she's not miserable, but he is. Miserable. Uh, get it? Get yes. it? Misery. Lady Misery herself. He's sad about his brother and about the council being mean to him. So, like, Damon, you no longer can chop people up like this. Like, we need you to pull it back. Uh, so he can't really keep it up during the sex, during his, uh, yes, Eliana. He's plugging it from behind. He can't keep yeah. it up, though. Yeah, he actually, it's funny because when you see him, you really see and it's like, this, he does not look like he's having a good time at all with this sex scene. Not in terms of the actor having to, but like the character. character yeah. yeah, right from the moment I'm like, this is the least enjoyed sex. Pretty much every um, time he's around those environments, he doesn't seem to be having fun. We'll talk about like that's it's very obvious. That like, is interesting. Yeah, he's known as this party boy, rogue prince, carousing, drunk, getting into fights, having a good time. But it seems that the only time he's happy, a la Jamie, really, is when he's fighting. When he's fighting, or even <sighs> flying. When he's trolling Otto Hightower. <laughs> yeah, that's also fun uh, for everyone. Yeah, I know. I was like, I mean, I find that fun. I mean, he did call him a cunt. That was great. Yeah. That was wonderful. That was fun for everyone. <sighs> fun for everyone. Uh, <laughs> not a bummer for all. Not a bummer for all. So, the big spectacle, the big showpiece, is the tourney. And classic Game of Thrones feeling, right? Uh, we're taken right back, transported to a time like the King's Hands tourney in mm-hmm. a Game of Thrones. However, this is a tourney like no other. This is massive it's beautiful there's heraldry and color all over the grounds mm-hmm. there's different houses you can identify the houses just by looking at them and their banners which is how it's supposed to be <laughs> <coughs> i read duncan egg okay sorry and which is how it's supposed to be i read duncan egg and that tourney and that tourney was colorful yeah and the pitch itself the tourney pitch um it was shaped like you know a la Selena Meyer Presidential Library, like a vagina. It was shaped like a womb, which is very fitting. It literally, yes, it literally did look like a vagina. So I, we were going through a few names, and I've ended so far on the Clitiseum. The Clitiseum. <laughs> the Clitiseum. That's what I have. For a now. lot of uh, a lot of the friends on the internet on Twitter have been saying, uh, like Ternussy. Oh, Tarnussy. I like yeah. that. I or like the Joustussy. Yeah. Uh, We're going to the Joustussy, babe. I do love adding ussy as a suffix onto things. It's something special of our time. Uh, a decade ago, you wouldn't have gotten content like this. Not so. even two years ago, because, you know, the ussy, one year ago, the ussy was not mm-hmm. like that yet. Or because, I guess, because of the scene called the Coal, the Christian Coliseum, which is oh my God. worse. Let's not call it that. The Coliseum. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Were you not God. thinking? Oh, I wasn't, but now I am. Kristen Cole is the star of this show during this tourney. Him and Damon are both vying for the top spot. You can see it. You know, it's just like America's Next Top Fighter. Yeah. Aren't they like a mystery night? And we're like, no, 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 no. No, it's just Kristen Cole. Different, different non-main book <laughs> story. It does feel, uh, I mean, there's so many little bits from Game of Thrones, right? You have rain, You have the favor being given, which... There was a certain laurel, frosty-looking uh, rose crown that Rainey's had. It was very reminded me very much of another attorney of later, mm-hmm. attorney from the eighties, the two eighties. Uh, there was that. There's also a point where a Malister gets the shit beaten out of him, and he has blood all everywhere, and he gets dragged off. And all I could think of was Sansa too. Right, the yeah, yes, there yes, would be yes. no song sung for him. That was sad. Instead of a, an Aaron, it was a different, a different eagle. A, a different, different Aaron eagle. gets a 
bad, fuck. the bad rap right now. But I wanted to say, I just realized why it's a little significant when they go, wait, a mystery night? Because, as as you all know, the third Duncan Egg novella, maybe you don't know, the third Duncan Egg novella is called The Mystery Night, and it does have to do with putting down, um, before it starts, a Blackfire Rebellion, which is the Blackfires being treasonous claimants to the throne, according to some. Uh, I think our friend Pat Doherty would say that they were the rightful heirs. But Kristen Cole also ends up starting, if he's the Mystery Knight, a rebel. Mm-hmm. A rebellion. A rebellion within the house of Targaryen. And to be fair, that actually comes from this line. Diana? She comes from that line, doesn't she? Oh, she comes from that line. I'm sorry. Yeah. I thought you meant like there was a, a line that Oh, was no, said. no, no, no. Like that <sighs> bloodline. I'm yes, sorry. Yes, which, yes. You know, as we've discussed with Dire of City, it's just wreath, not tree at this oh point. It's like just... the wreaths that they put on the, the lances. Oh, the joust. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, Boromond, I feel like it's significant that we see Boromond as the Baratheon that asks for Rhaenys' favor, because he will fucking die, and by the end of this season, he will not be the Lord of Storm's End. We will meet someone else when we get there, somebody who's a little more brash, right? A little um, crueler, and that is Boros. It's going to be a little interesting, so good to see at the front that he's the one swearing for Rhaenyra that he's going to, you know, protect her claim later. Because you can't when you're gone. <laughs> and it's it's significant, right? Because we're told that the Baratheons will back Rhaenyra, A, because they swore, and B, because mm-hmm. they're related to Rhaenys. So this is Rhaenys's relative in a very direct way. Actually, in a couple ways, because again, House Baratheon offshoot of a allegedly maybe Targaryen bastard. It's a wreath, not a tree. <laughs> it is a wreath. Uh, Kristen Cole's helm is really cool. Um, you know, he has, <laughs> we looked up his sigil. right his sigil because we just wanted to know what it was and it is six brown pellets or black Black, pellets sorry black pellets on a field of scarlet and really that's just fancy for like black circles on an orange red you know field his helm matches the visor part of it the vent it is like in the dots of his sigil yo that was so cool yeah it was cool it's it's great details Mm -hmm. love i mean the details on the costumes of the knights at the tourney were so great and that makes sense right that's also a fashion show Mm -hmm. let's be real yeah i thought i was like is it a ladybug and apparently they're pellets i'm like what the fuck does that what does that mean like poop pellets like food pellets what do we mean by pellet (sighs) i have to look it up a black roundel, also called an ogress or gunstone. This is not helpful. <laughs> interesting. Now I have to Google those things. No, I'm just <laughs> Great. kidding. Uh, it, it's Let's interesting. It means nothing to me. Yeah. Like, it's, it's nothing, I don't know, it doesn't mean much to me. However, um, I don't know, he's supposed to be, it's a lesser house, a newer house, right? Like, yeah. he, they joined on in the Stormlands to be, they were just house stewards, and now he's rising, so he has a little bit of ambition to watch out for, and this tourney shows that, right? Rhaenyra is very interested in who Kristen Cole is. She's like, who is Kristen Cole? And something I love, one of the metaphor parts of this I really love is, A, um, Otto shouldn't have talked so much shit in the small council, because he really was talking down to Damon, and Damon really took that to heart, and Damon beats the shit out of Otto's kin in the tourney. Uh, I think it's his brother, is it kid? It's his son, we said? It's Ormond? His son. Yeah. Yes. So he beats the shit out of Ormond, like just fucking beats his ass. And then poor Alicent, Rhaenyra comforts her. It's very sweet. But then he just goes all out for Hightower and he comes over and asks for Alicent's favor mm-hmm. in front of Otto. And what is she supposed to do? It's the fucking prince of the royal crown. It's yeah. Viserys, who she's going to be told to seduce. 
Uh, it's his brother. Like, you can't say no. You gotta just, you know, you gotta give your favor. And she's forced to give her favor on his lance, on his jousting lance. She throws it on there. It goes down. And she tells him, you know, good luck in the lists, my prince. In exact opposite way. Once more, how Rhaenyra gets to be framed. She holds out, gives her favor. She tosses her laurel, her favor, just tosses it willy-nilly at Kristen Cole when he asks for it, which is a metaphor, I'm pretty sure. Um, she throws that shit like a fucking disc golf frisbee. I'm not kidding. Like, that girl was going disking. There's no lance. She doesn't slide oh. it down carefully or precisely. I'm like, this is uh, this is legitimately a choice to show these two favors being given. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, Damon's, Damon's very good at pulling power moves, and yeah, because Rhaenyra could have chosen, like, it's one thing for Alicent to, she's, as you said, kind of forced by those mm-hmm. social customs and by what society expects of her to give it to Damon, to give her favor, right? Because that's a huge honor. It's the prince, the heir, kind of, mm-hmm. in this moment, because things are gravy at this journey. <laughs> and for Rhaenyra... She's a princess. She doesn't have to give it to Kristen Cole if she doesn't want to, but she's like... Oh, Oh, that girl wants to, though. Oh, she wants to, because even though, you know, Alison goes, God, he's Dornish, and I I thought she was gonna be like, God, he's gorgeous, but he wasn't. Um, That's not what she said. And also, I mean, she didn't have to, and as you said, she throws it, which shows, I mean, she's a little athletic. Mm -hmm. No, she's quite athletic, and part of what she loves about the tourney is she's into sports. She's also a little careless with who she throws her ussy at, we we find out. Good for her. And, and which is good, no, but I'm just saying. Yeah. They're both, these girls are showing you how they're going to throw their cat at the screen this season, in this moment. Mm-hmm. In this moment. All of this, absolutely all of this, is intercut with Emma's birth. Yes. Um, which, it's brilliant. I, I, I will say, I think this is brilliant. I was really impressed with how they cut this together. Um, the impact in the tourney as they ride at one another, lance on shield, on person, on horse, all of that is, you know, that, that, that's the battle that's happening outside, but her battle was happening in there and they don't hold back. They do show us a good amount of blood and gore, um, and suffering. And let's talk about the moment when Melos tells him that he has to choose to sacrifice one or lose them both. Because, man, have I never been more mad at Viserys Targaryen in my entire life. And I know there really wasn't a choice, but it was unfair, and it was horrible, and I'm mad at him, and I don't care what happens to him anymore. I mean, there was a choice, right? But they give it to Viserys and not to Emma. Emma Mm -hmm. was there enough that she could have made that choice. Who knows what she would have chosen, and she didn't know what was happening to her. And the, the wording is a little confusing, I will say. What we know from the behind the scenes is, regardless of what Viserys chose, Emma was going to die. It was either the choice that, again, was given to Viserys is either you choose to laissez-faire, yeah, force your wife into a C-section that she does not know about, even though he could have told her, force your wife into a C-section in an attempt to save the child, or don't do that, and they both perish. Um, And I will say, like, I know that this is has become a very controversial scene. The episode has just aired, and I understand that a lot of people did not want to see this on screen, and I will caveat that neither Chloe nor I have ever given birth, Mm -hmm. right? And that's not an experience that I know. I know from hearing from other people, it is a very physically excruciating time. My mother, like, never shied away from being like, it was terrible giving birth to you. I was in labor for a while, but Mm -hmm. also, like, she took the epidural the first chance she could, which... 
My mom didn't have one. My mom, oh my God. My mom was in labor with me for 38 hours with no epidural. Because you, she lost her chance to do the epidural. Yep, I was, I came, I was two weeks early, but then I wouldn't come out. So oh she, I, she was too dilated. They couldn't fuck her up. Yeah. They couldn't stab her up. So she suffered for 38 hours so pushing me out. I'm sorry for her too, but uh, you know what? Retrospectively, like, good for me. Got him. Got him. Yeah, so my mom never shied away from that, nor the fact that, like, when I was born, she's, this is, again, very graphic, apparently I had a very large head, <laughs> and I tore the birth canal. Mm-hmm. I tore, she, would, she, would, she wouldn't shy away from it. I tore her vagina, and I was told this from an early age, mm-hmm. and so I'm like, birth seems terrible. Pregnancy also, we, we see Emma had a difficult pregnancy, and I think we're seeing more discussions nowadays publicly, which is good, of people being like, we hide what pregnancy entails, from people who can become pregnant, right? And, mm-hmm. like, what that choice, what it will do to your body. And so, with all that said, I thought that the scene was very powerful and it worked for me. But I understand mm-hmm. that, especially if you have gone through this kind of, like, birthing trauma or had a difficult um, birthing, like, that it might not be for you. But we will speak positively of this scene because we thought it was powerful for a number of reasons. Yeah. I mean, like I mentioned with Daea's death earlier, Emma's own mother, um, the importance of her role and like what happens to her and the role it plays for Jaharis and Alisan even, right? Like it really does tear them apart a little bit. It really is a big yeah. step between them. And the fact that Rhaenyra now has to carry on after her mother's died, after seeing her go through this and what yes. will come for Rhaenyra at the end of the season, yes. the bookend that this makes for when they steal her birthright while she's pushing out her child. Absolutely um, terrible. I mean, it's just that much more meaningful to me that they didn't shy away from it. I think Game of Thrones didn't have all of these same opportunities. Uh, but that's this is what these books are about. It's about these women that many of them are forced to labor. They are forced to bear these children yeah. against their will because that is what the law of the land dictates their role is, that they are supposed to give them an heir. Like she says to Viserys earlier, I'm sorry. You know, I, I know I'm, I might have failed you in giving you an heir. Oh my god, it made me so sad when she was like, I might have failed you. I mean, you're a woman on the last day of your fucking life and that's what you're saying to your husband. That's horrible. That's terrible. Um, and to feel that that love is conditional as opposed to... Yes. And, and of course it is, right? We know a lot of people are entered into arranged marriages. So you have to... This is the way that you quote unquote earn your way in the world, right? Mm-hmm. It's not through your own worth, but through what you bring in terms of like male heirs right it's not even like you you give birth to girls they're just like you right in terms yeah. of no one cares about they're only them. worth alliances i play ck2 a game of thrones mod oh i god. know how this works oh my it god. is only worth it for an alliance and the look in her eyes when he betrays her right when he doesn't tell her and when the maids come in and they hold her down oh and she was already scared right and mm-hmm. i think Again, like, part of why it's powerful is I know that people have said, like, we don't need to show this sort of violence against women. Not sexual violence. Sexual violence is a term that refers to sexual act. And I understand, like, you know, it is an act of sexism, but we have terms like gender-based violence and violence against women slash violence against women and girls. And gender-based violence is violence that is inflicted upon you because of your gender slash your sex um, and isn't always sexual violence. Like, for example, you a trans woman might be suddenly physically assaulted 
not for anything that she is doing, but because of her gender, mm-hmm. right? But not that's not necessarily sexual violence unless some sort of sexual assault also occurs. Or, you know, a, another... I can give more examples, um, but it's not always only inflicted on women and girls. Uh, anyways. When lo- he says they're going to bring the babe out now. My I, heart dropped. My heart fell through my butthole. Me and you both like sat up straight and we're like, no, no. Yeah. Um, I mean, the look in her eyes, like a scared, frightened animal that was being put on an altar. It really, I mean, it really did scream to me, Nisa, Nisa. And I know that that's the big topic of conversation with this episode is prophecy and the prince or princess that was promised, whatever sovereign was promised. But, you know, the big thing about Azora High and about Nisa Nisa was that it had, you know, she was brought somewhat willingly, but then the blade falls. Yeah. Nisa Nisa, for all that you love me, you know, bear your breast to me. Yeah. And know that I love you best in all this world. And he, he says... And that's the worst part. He says, I love you, and then hurts her, right? Like, mm-hmm. allows this harm to happen. And maybe she would have said yes, right? She could have said yes had she known, but she's never given the opportunity to choose. And that's the difference. And that's something we always talk about in the main books, right? In mm-hmm. terms of sacrifice. What what kind of sacrifice is it if you are if you're not even the one making that sacrifice, right? Like and That's her sacrifice, not you having yes. the sacrifice. You didn't sacrifice anything. And again, I know people are saying it didn't necessarily need to be depicted for it to have that impact. But I think that, so studies have been done with, especially like cisgender men and like when it comes to how people relate to different characters and empathy, right? Mm -hmm. Like in media. And we see a lot of times people who hold societal power, like cisgender men will also see sometimes like a lot of white men like reviewing will be like, I can't relate to this character or I don't feel anything with this right and for it to just be said that this happened to Emma Aaron without really showing the depiction I think is important in a time in which Roe v. Wade has been overturned Mm -hmm. and this is what that means this is what forced birth means you don't have a say over what happens to your body and I think people need to understand that forced birth is violence maybe it's not this kind of like someone is cutting into you against your will violence but it is still removing what happens to your body and that is violence and not even that but it's not medieval this is happening right now exactly happening today and i think that's important because people are saying part of the critique is people saying oh this is just how it like we don't have to depict something that happened back then or was historical because in a show that is a fantasy and dragons and i understand the want for escapist media but yeah it's today this is today and i mean access to healthcare. Right. That is, that's the biggest thing. Like having access to healthcare, having access to, you know, something that could possibly save both of their lives. That's very important. And they did not have that access. And that's very different from our world in some ways, Mm -hmm. but also not in some ways. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it's also haunting when the, the maids hold her down, because I think something we also talk about sometimes is the way that, and that is going to be core to this show is how women can be forced to be complicit and uphold patriarchal systems, right? Mm-hmm. The handmaids participate in this crime against Emma. Yeah, because that's their job to do so in this world. Yeah, they're not supposed to question, you know, what men say that should happen to them or their queen. I don't think that you can do this show right without having done that scene. 
I don't think so. I think the way they chose to adapt it is powerful, it's poignant, and it's what the entire book's about. It's what Fire and Blood is about. How many women do we watch bleed out in yeah. those pages to bring an heir to the fold that either means nothing or something? How many kings do we see go through that? Like, I mean, that is literally one of the biggest parts of that book. And and George does this, and, and this is nothing against him. I love Fire and Blood and the way it's written. I'm like a big stand for it. I would probably yeah. argue. I'm like, Eliana knows. I would say, no, I actually like it, though. No, I like that part. Um, but he does it in, in passing. This this line where she dies is in passing that she dies mid-birth. And that is what happened to Emma Aaron. And we don't get more of that. We got more Emma Aaron in this episode than we do in Fire and Blood. And yeah, that's true. That's powerful actually. to me. That's actually very powerful, especially that previous controversial things that Game of Thrones has done, right? Like the assault of Sansa. Um, that was a very different centered scene and how yes. the focus was centered and what it meant. It meant nothing. This was a controversial, violent scene that meant something. And I think what you said about the focus, because I was actually also just thinking of, you know, the sexual violence against Sansa, slash also in the books, Jane Poole. And Game of Thrones chose to cut away and look at Theon's pain during this. Maybe they didn't need to show, like, directly the cutting into Emma, sure, but we needed, I, I think there needed to be a depiction of the horror uh, of Emma, what Emma was going through, even if it's just focusing on her face. I guess it could have been off screen, like the cutting, right? You don't need all that. They give the intimation of blood, but I don't fault their choices. And I will say, apparently, in fact, the studio wanted them to make it even more gruesome and violent. Wow. And you even see the hands like reaching in her body in this Ugh. to an extent, right? And that's what it, that's the state reaching into your body. Okay. Anyway, so the the showrunners and the people working on the show actually even did already like push back against that and they said no this is enough they did not want to make it more gratuitously violent and i can see an argument for some of it being gratuitous but regardless i think we needed to see what it meant for emma and the last thing i'll say on it is that you know, we had scenes like where Sansa is told she's going to bear Joffrey children and the horror of that and what yes. that means for her, right? Or uh, not a cast, just covered Sansa's marriage to Tyrion, right? Mm -hmm. And how there's no agency. Like, it doesn't matter that she's getting married to the nice Lannister. She's still getting married to someone that wants her only for her claim or has her only for her claim, you know? Yes. It doesn't matter because she still has to do her duty if she stays there. And we see those things in A Game of Thrones, but we never see... The result of it. We don't get to see what that means. What does it mean that Sansa's terrified of the life that's ahead of her for this monstrous boy, this monstrous boy king? And here we actually see that result. And yeah. again, they didn't really have an opportunity story-wise, to be fair, to explore something in that poetic way, that poignant way. But I do think that this shows the stakes for these characters are higher. It shows a better foundational understanding of the characters involved. And the themes. And the themes, exactly. And it, it gives me much more hope for this show. Yeah. And they get it. <laughs> they get it. I mean, this it showed that they get it. This scene yeah. really, to me, shows they get it. And uh, something you said also kind of reminded me for a second of uh, Sansa gets it to an extent. Mm -hmm. She knows that to an extent the dangers of some of what that entails, if not the whole picture, when she gets her period. Mm -hmm. Because she, said she knows what that means. She means I'm no longer safe. Uh... I can be sent to battle. And she doesn't want to die for a king One that in she battle. fucking hates. Yeah, that she hates. So she burns her, the evidence, or she tries to. And I will say, a strong choice that they made, they show us the sun, right? 
And it is good that Viserys did not immediately go to hold... They'd never show Viserys holding his son. Um, or expressing joy over mm-hmm. the son. He only expresses grief over losing Emma. It doesn't make him actually better. It actually kind of makes it worse, which is... That it was how, for nothing. Yeah, I mean, how it should... Well, that he... Yeah, he lost her, and mm-hmm. he loved her. He doesn't know this kid. I mean, some people, I guess, have an automatic connection with children. Again, we cannot... Yeah. I love kids, but I've never given birth or had, like, a, my own child. And It's different no when it's a view, like. I guess. It's very different. Yes and no. I hear, you know, postpartum can be... Like, yeah, a bitch, I hear. A bitch. A couple of my friends have had it horribly. Yeah, same, same. My friend was just talking about it. But anyway. This episode has so many amazing set pieces and changes of scenery i mean when we were sitting there i was like fuck how much more is in this shit like they have so much to go um next we do emma's funeral her funeral pyre and of course she gets a targaryen funeral she's burnt by her dragon syrax is who is going to be doing the burning and so of course rhaenyra must deliver the line say the thing say the thing she must deliver the line oh my god uh to get syrax to do the burninating and she says, Dracaris. I love her High Valyrian. I yes. love, um, there's this cute little thing, this little snippet of meta that they've talked about that Daenerys spoke High Valyrian differently than her ancestors would because they live it, speak it. They always have. It's passed down. They hear it every single day from one another. We see Rhaenyra and Damon speak it so well together. Uh, very fluid, musical. But for Daenerys, she spoke it with Viserys and no one else, right? And so her High Valyrian was actually kind of grubby. Like, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't sharp. It wasn't clear. So that's something to look out for. I've talked about it a little in interviews that the High Valyrian might sound a little different. You might have a little different of an accent because it's actually more classical, traditional High Valyrian. And they practice it all the time. And I thought that was so interesting. Yeah, and Daenerys would have learned a dialect that was changed from living in the Free Cities, right? The mm-hmm. Free Cities did speak Valyrian, but had um, their own regional differences to it. Just like uh, there, there are regional differences, for example, like Spanish in mm-hmm. each of the different Latin American countries. Even within Spain. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Damon comforts Rhaenyra. You know, he comes to her and... I'm so sorry for who I've become. I'm so sorry for who I've become. I was actually really surprised last night. I was like, interesting. When Clay was like, I love Damon Jett. I was like, oh no. Who is this? (laughs) (laughs) He comforts Rhaenyra because she's nervous and she knows that she has to give the word. She knows she has to say Dracarys, but she can't. You know, she's frozen in the moment. And it's a powerful scene and he comforts her through it and he tells her, you're needed now more than ever. Your father needs Mm. you. You have to help him. And it helps her be able to do it. And she does falter at first, right? She stutters. And then she says it. And I, I mean, I definitely teared up. I I, had, I got a little emotional. It was very beautiful and very sad. And Cyrex burns the pyre. Yeah, I, I cried during this scene. As you said, right? Great moment from Damon. Really, again, establishes that Damon actually does love his brother. For him mm-hmm. to say that in that moment, he doesn't say anything manipulative. He's just like, you have to be strong. So he comforts her and then... That he's thinking of what's best for his brother. Mm-hmm. 
It is so, I mean, it's hard to hate him in this episode because he's an asshole, but he's honest. Like, it's the world that's awful, quote unquote, Sandra Clegane, right? I'm honest. Uh, He is honest. He is. He's just just an asshole. He's a fucking asshole, but he's honest. He never lies, I think, in this episode. And it Um, also is so obvious that how they're driven to one another, right? Because at this very same token, after the next small council we'll talk about with Allison's scene with Viserys, um... Of course, Rhaenyra is driven into her Uncle Damon's arms. He's the only one that'll tell her any piece of, you know, thing that he says with yeah. one ounce of honesty. He's being her emotional support when no one else is, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, someone pointed out, like, not someone, I mean the show also points it out, no one's there to comfort Rhaenyra mm-hmm. when they find out that her mother is passed, like, at the tourney. She's just left alone when suddenly everyone leaves. And, mm-hmm. I mean, when she burns like the way millie alcock falters on that on the dracaris and then you know she looks at her dad and she's like all right i gotta i talked to you recently like recently my grandmother passed and they chose to cremate her body did you cremation is very fast in the philippines apparently because you can't pay for refrigeration it takes a long time in the u.s because they have to make sure there was no foul play because <laughs> you can't bring the body back out mm-hmm. have to be sure you have to be sure someone has to inspect it and so you know, we're looking at my grandmother, she's in this casket, and they're just about to put her in the, like, in the machine that cremates her. And I thought I could, like, do this, right? I could be there and watch, you know, in, in, until those last moments when she's gone. And then just as they were about to put her in, I just ran out, I just ran out the door. I was like, actually, I cannot watch my grandmother be burnt. My mom already <sighs> had, like, left, um, you know, a little bit. She said her piece. She didn't say until the last moment like I did. But other family members did, but... I, I could not, and we see that in Rhaenyra. She turns away. She cannot she, she cannot watch her mother be burnt. I don't know that I could either, especially not directly like that. Yeah. That was wild. And that she's responsible for it. Like, my God, to put that on her. Because her, her father couldn't. I think it would have fallen to, it would have normally fallen no to Valerian. Yes. He has no dragon to do so, and she has to be the strength of her family now. Yes. She's what's left right this moment until Alicent gets fucking... <laughs> And then, and then that's a different, that's a different weight on her. My that's God. a whole different that's a dragon. Whole other, that's a different that's trauma. That's a different dragon. Different also egg. trauma. Um, Eglicent. Oh my God. <sighs> Let's go on to the small council after this. Because once more, a lot of small council. This yeah. is like a lot in one episode. It's okay. time for succession season four. That's what I love about it, actually. Like some people didn't like that. There's too much talking, they said. It's Game like, of Thrones. No, baby. this is good. <laughs> Give us the courtroom procedural. <laughs> I love it. I love the little bickering back and forth, the sly yes. bits. I mean, hell, we didn't really talk about it, but the sea snake earlier, you know, the very beginning, they're all jolly. The first small council, Viserys is making a Tyrion kind of joke that trails off, and Corlys is immediately is like, all right, can we get down to business? Because I don't get paid hourly. Like this is we're salarying King's Landing and. Yeah. And I have an agenda to talk about, um, which, of course, that's covering some of the stuff in the East that we'll get to in the next few episodes with the Stepstones and all that. But this small council, which they say succession over and over again, like 80 times. It is succession. <sighs> do, 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 do. You sent me that graphic, remember? Do. Boom, boom. <sighs> Chloe sent me a little graphic. They, I guess HBO is part of their marketing, made a little mm-hmm. house Roy. Cute bore on the floor yeah. with the you, swords all pointing in. Did you know they made one for Guy Fieri? I saw that, yes. I, <laughs> I did was like, see that. What one. is happening? <laughs> it's called branding, Eliana. It's called branding. Um, no one wants Damon to be a king. That's clear, right? Uh, he's watching them also through this, by the way. I'm 
guessing it's through one of the tunnels of King's Landing. It's a pretty big tunnel thing, but you know, that's okay. I don't really care how I he's there. it was just like a door and he wasn't even trying it's to yeah. hide. Yeah. And he just like goes up next to the door and then, yeah. <laughs> just listening, just chilling. Or he's like um, Lyra. And to be fair, Viserys does like go out for him, right? He's like, hey, my brother's not that bad. Okay. He's just mostly bad. Uh, and they're right, though, he says, so it's time for someone else to be a successor, but whomst, dot, 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 who could it be, who could it be? And then there's that line, Viserys basically says, you know, he gets pretty upset. He's like, I will not choose between my daughter and my brother. And it's like, Viserys, you have to choose between your brother and your daughter. That's you cauterize the wound. Cauterize that Rip shit. Rip that band-aid off. Cauterize it. Um, and he gets pretty upset, you know, pretty, pretty intense scene. And he actually has a line where he basically says a feast for crows. He basically, literally does. Not verbatim, but basically, he does say A Feast for Crows. And we're like, finally, acknowledgement for the fourth and fifth books that were never adapted. They really weren't adapted. Oh my god, finally, acknowledgement <laughs> for the best book in the series, A Feast Actually, for Crows. Actually, no, literally. Literally, the best book. That is our favorite book in the series. And They're like, they might not have wanted to give you A Feast for Crows, but we do. <laughs> Actually, they do. And Post, but yet pre-humously. Yeah. Viserys, I mean, he's upset, right? They're mm-hmm. bas- they're saying, like, okay, we need a plan for in case your brother kills me. He's like, what the fuck? My brother's not gonna kill me? But what if he does? I really don't No, think- he wouldn't. He it's- absolutely wouldn't. His- the murderer is at the table. <laughs> the murderer, the betrayer's the at the table. The call is coming from within the house. Judas, <laughs> sitting here at my uh, table. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Judas. I actually, like, the first time I watched the scene where Viserys is listening, not Viserys, where Damon is listening outside, and he, like, chuckles when Viserys is like, Damon doesn't want the throne. <laughs> At first I took that as, like, Damon laughing, because he's like, actually, I kind of do. But now I, uh, what do you think? When we were rewatching, I was like, is he actually laughing because he's, like, Viserys knows me so well, and he loves hearing his brother defend him, which... I mean, also because everyone else... Otto, Otto is very annoying. There's, like, two non-annoying people on this council. It kind of felt like both. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, a little bit of column A, column B. Like Oh, the conflict... Like, first of all, part. like... Funny, because, no, I don't really want it, but that's how small you think of me, brother? That you think I'm not capable? I, I do see. think yeah, there's yeah, a little yeah, yeah. bit of that there. That like- Yeah, like, you don't think I'm capable question mark because i could i could fucking take your throne i'm gonna take your daughter too now that you fucking said it you old geezer i'm gonna fuck your daughter that's what damon was thinking that's actually that's a great observation of who damon's character is he doesn't necessarily he's just like oh you think i can't the moment you tell him he cannot do something he'll be like i absolutely could watch me 10 times watch me he's a he's one of those bet you canters right like like, oh bet bet (laughs) okay Oh. Yeah. I think that's moreover part of it. And not necessarily even that he'll be reactionary against it, but I do think that when Viserys takes Alicent to Bride, um, then both of them feel shunned. Like, Rhaenyra yeah. and him are like, what the fuck, dude? I thought we as a family had this figured out. And we as a family, not my best friend who's my age. Like, it's just gross for her i understand but i guess she also dates her uncle so maybe she can't judge but (laughs) hey listen eliana stepmom porn is a lot more popular than uncle porn well that's a ship i'm fine with that one's fine you know but uh speaking of allison okay 
Otto Hightower. So something that I really like, and I think the gentlemen over at Nauticast, Manu and Emmett, are going to talk a little bit about this, uh, that Otto and Viserys both are the most level-headed bitches in this episode, but they both have one scene where you're like, oh, you crazy. Oh, you're <laughs> fucked up. Okay. So Viserys is obviously the Emma scene, and Otto's is this scene, because Otto, listen, I would never talk good about him. However, I will say he does make some points throughout the episode. Like, he keeps them on track business-wise. Uh, I get he's a conniving fuck, but he makes some points. Uh, so Allison and him are talking, and Allison's like, pretty up. She's had a hard day, you know? Her mom died not too long ago, it seems, and she had to go to this funeral, and she feels for her best friend's family, and she's just sad for them. And just when she thinks she's about to bond with her dad and get a nice hug from him, and be like, oh, we could talk about mom, you know, how we're, we're sad over losing him. He's like, I'm gonna need you to go put on your dead mom's dress and go fuck Viserys. He doesn't say it like that, but he says... He basically, basically says, says it like that. that. Yeah. He basically says that, and also... Pretty sure he got the idea from Damon, right? Yeah, and it's funny because it's just like me and you just said about Damon, right? That Damon's reactionary. That if you tell him no, he's going to go, Damon, yes. Otto's the same way. A lot of this is reactionary. Like, he pissed Damon off earlier. Damon pissed him off at the tourney. Damon's pissed about him right now. Damon's going to go fuck Rhaenyra. He's pissed right now. Allison's going to go fuck Viserys. There's a lot of reactionary fucking going on, I yeah. feel like. But that part's perhaps not as reactionary, because I think Otto has been calculating and planning this for... A decade. A long-ass time. In the in Fire and Blood, you can see him starting to try to sneak in there, because mm -hmm. Allison, who is older in Fire and Blood, used to read to Jerry's. Yep. Well, Which we, we get a little tip-off hat tip, too. Yeah, we do get a tip-off. It's kind of cute. Alicent is, she is, like, us all, for real, though. Like, I love Rhaenyra, too, and I love Alicent, too. Young Alicent's fun, because she, like, she's like, all right, so she puts on her dead mom's dress. It's beautiful, to be fair, and it's actually, um, take a look at it if you're looking back at photos or rewatching the episode. It is a dark green dress, uh-huh, and it has black flames kind of creeping and encroaching across the dark green, which is a-metaphorical because the greens and the blacks, the factions for House of the Dragon. Uh, but the flames, the black flames, they're winning this episode finally. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. Emma's dead, so that sucks. But Rhaenyra is going to be the heir. You know, the blacks have a plan. Things are good, and the greens are being overtaken, which explains kind of Otto's reaction here. He feels that slip of power a little bit as Viserys is struggling with who he's naming heir, and he knows that he needs to secure kind of that dynasty. So she goes in this dress, which also resembles the Hightower sigil. Yes. It, it looks like the flames from the Hightower sigil. She goes to Viserys, who has been playing Warhammer all night because he's depressed. <laughs> he is. He's literally playing Warhammer. All right. He's like... building a Lego Dragonstone. It is adorbs. It is beautiful. Uh... Uh, but it's actually like an authentic scene. So she takes a giant book because she's like, I don't fucking know what to do. My dad gave me no directions. Like, and she's he covering her body with it. Yeah, she's hiding behind. She's the book. hiding her. I mean, her breasts, right? Yeah. She doesn't. Her boobies. She's afraid to. She's like, I don't. Them titties. Know how to be sexualized or flirt? She's like, yeah. She. It's because it's obvious what he's sending her for, and yes. she refuses to admit that's what he's sending for, or like you know, out loud, be like, so it's. For so, like, she straight up says, how am I to entertain him? I do not think he wants me there right now in his chambers at this hour, like, alone. Um, and he's like, come on, you're so close, honey. You're almost there. Uh, She's like, I know, but I'm trying to not be. <laughs> it's a, honestly, it's a very genuine scene, though, because yes. she says to him, 
you know, she says, I remember when my mom died, how everybody treated me, and I just wanted them to say I'm sorry for what happened to you. And she extends that kind of grace to him, which I'm not sorry right now. Maybe in a week I'll feel better about it, but I'm kind of mad at Viserys right now. Yeah. But she doesn't care about Emma, as we know. <laughs> uh, Ouch. Ouch. She, she does. She cares about... We'll probably see it later. She cares about Rhaenyra. She cares about Emma in she the context of Rhaenyra. Yeah. Um, and, and the conversation. I mean, she does not fuck him, it doesn't seem, this evening. She seems to, you know, read some stories and chill while he builds his Legos, and then they part, I'd guess. She just literally comforts him. Yeah. yeah like, what she says is, like, as you said, right, it's genuine. And it was a legitimately nice, real moment, and... It shows they get a connection, too. Like, I mean, I, yeah. I do like that because we don't really hear much about their relationship in Fire and Blood from either of their perspectives and the love for one another. And, I mean, I think this is a good way for them to start that bond because she feels alone and he is alone right now. Um, They're both oppressed by Otto Hightower. <laughs> They're both victims of Otto Hightower. Wow. And that right there is enough for chemistry as we Honestly? see. Honestly? Because look at Rhaenyra and her. Honestly, even Damon and her had a little. Yeah. Raise your hand if you've been victimized by Otto Hightower. The next scene, very different from the quiet of these chambers, is the brothel with Damon. And the way that the music and the sound at the front starts, it almost sounds like it's blended with childbirth screams. Like, it, it, yes. I don't think it is, but it sounded like Emma's. Yes, deathbed. Yes. Um, and he seems to be kind of out of it. And all of this, I mean, it's so much sensory. While we were watching, I told you, I was like, I could never be in this place. This is horrible. It's just noise and people fucking and fighting and jeering and cheering and drinking and all this. I'm like, how do you even get anything done at this place? I hate this place. He does not look happy at all. Like all yeah. of this is happening around him and he's just sitting at a table dissociating. Same. Um, he's not having a good time at all. Yeah. It's, it's, Actually, like, again, great scene of characterization. He's alone. He's fully clothed. He's not fucking, right? Like, mm -hmm. and that's, as you said before, like, the image that people have of Damon as, like, this party boy. He's sad. Like, he's sad for his family. He's sad for mm -hmm. his brother. He's sad about Emma. I mean, she, everyone liked her. They they were probably fine. She was, Emma's probably like, oh, my God, your brother. My brother-in-law's so stressful. But, you know, he's sad, and then... Part of it is, like, I wonder, is he here? Does he come to the brothel a lot that uh, apparently he bought because he's keeping up? He's putting on a performance mm -hmm. of what it means to be Playboy Prince. I mean, right? what happens when you lose control of that area of King's Landing, too? We see that for yeah. Cersei. Look yeah. at, um, in yes, Clash. Absolutely. Look at what happens. I mean, obviously, they're fucking hungry. Um, and, you know, there's no economy. It's a very different King's Landing. But look at the riot in King's Landing and yeah. how much the, they don't spend any time. The Lannisters don't spend, I mean, sorry, the Baratheons don't spend any time endearing themselves to the small folk in any sort of way. And not that Damon does either, to be fair. He's very cruel and he's all about order and justice in his own terms with his sword. That said, he at least, like, is worried about how that affects their kingship. I mean, that is an important part of your economy to just not pay attention to. Yeah, he knows how to talk to, I guess, the common man, right? Mm -hmm. Which is something that we actually see Arya being good at. And how to geld them. Yes. I haven't seen that yet. And Actually, did, well, he, did he do it or did he have someone else do it? Mm, it was someone else during We don't know true. how good his gelding skills are, to be honest. I'm hoping we don't learn. I also, actually, I have no idea how that's going to go now that you've said it. 
he I don't know. I've heard that this series is actually more violent, less um cauterized sexual it. assault. Yeah, but I heard like some of the reviews have said that the series has like way more depictions of violence. So I don't know. But it's Game of Thrones. It's back. And so it's kind of like, it's funny, right? It's not funny, but it's interesting. They He's obviously having a bad time, and they're like, Viserion, no. they're like, Damon, why don't you give a speech? Why don't you give a toast? I'm like, let him just t- drink his like whiskey by himself. My God. And had he not made the toast, he would not be in trouble. And we do not see what he says. He stands up and yes. he's about to say it. He's saying, and then it cuts. This was so clever. It was well done that they don't show him saying it because it's kind of like a game of telephone in a way. Uh, and here we are. The council decides there should be punishment for Damon's words for what he said. And Otto Hightower is leading the charge. Again, reactionary to one another all day long. Uh, their fights are crazy. But Otto leads the charge and... He says that, you know, it's corroborated that he said he called Balin's birth and death the heir for a day. Yeah. Ugh. It's, it's actually, I think, one of the best scripted moments in this. Mm-hmm. That's actually a runner-up from my favorite scene now that I think about it. Um, it was cleverly done. The lines are so good. They're well-delivered. Mm-hmm. And you really see the characterization of these brothers. Like, they, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of love. And that's why there's mm-hmm. that pain. And, uh, Dr. Finn, Dr. Kavita Finn, uh, in her review of today's, last night's episode, mm-hmm. you know, pointed out that, like, the way that we get this information, as you said, right, it's not, we don't see it. It's a little reminiscent of Fire and Blood. And in my headcanon, one of the people who gossiped is Mushroom. Uh, Mushroom was one of the people who said, oh, Damon said, here for a day. And I mean, he doesn't deny it. It's funny because the way it was said, he obviously is in his grief, which he defends himself. And he's like, people grieve differently, brother. But at the same time, he he doesn't deny it. He admits it. He takes his punishment. He is, you know, to leave and go back to the Vale, to his bronze bitch, to Rhea Royce. That won't last long. And um, go back to Runestone until, you know, you decide to go war for a crown. And, I don't know, that fight is epic between them. You know, yeah. there's a lot of emotion. You can tell Patty and Matt have great chemistry. Yeah. Because he tells him, he's like, brother, like, you've always sent me away. All you do is send me away. You say that you love me and you stand up for me like it's some sort of fucking gift. But all you do is send me away to the Vale, to here, to there. Like, why don't? you want me, question mark, which is a lot of those feelings, like we said, of what Rhaenyra, you know, felt yeah. alone, of having a, a brotherly heir on the way, you know, yeah. it brings some of those feelings to the forefront. Um, and the way series receives him, it's on the Iron Throne, his steel is bared, Blackfire is out, it's very much, uh, it reminds me of, like, Rob, right, with yes. the sword across his legs in uh, the first couple books, and that threat, that very perceived threat, he means business. And it's not even necessarily that Viserys means business against Damon so much as he has been called to the table to take action by the council. Yeah, and he's like, dude, I defended you and this is how you repay me by with this of joke. All, of all the things that it could have been, it was this, right? That that pushed him over the edge. It was a personal thing. And I think that's what makes it such a strong narrative choice. It was a personal slight mm-hmm. not anything political that finally forces the series to, to act and 
You were my brother, Damon. Actually, literally. Literally. And as we can see, all Damon wants to do is be there and, like, love his brother and be loved by him. And And he's like, why don't you see me worthy or good enough for this? It also reminds me of another set of brothers. Mm. Stannis and Robert's relationship and how Stannis yearned to have that sort of closeness with Robert and to be acknowledged as competent by him, right? And he Stannis also got shoved around to a couple of roles, or maybe mostly just one role on the small council. But he's like, how come I wasn't made hand? And you can see Damon's kind of asking, like, why don't you make me hand? And as you and I have kind of chatted about now offline, like, I mean, he would have gotten shit done. I think... Obviously. They would have curtailed each other's worst impulses and been good. They could have been good. But, alas, Viserys dies. Auto Hightower is oppressing us. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So the next scene is the big scene, the final scenes of Thrones of this episode. Um, And we're going to talk about it kind of intercut together uh, because at the front, you know, the Song of Ice and Fire scene, it's intercut with the air coronation-y whatever scene, the air... Ceremony, eremony, the eremony. Uh, it's intercut with the eremony. First, you know, we are kind of, we talk about prophecy. And there's a little ditty going around these days from 2018 where George kind of hinted and let audiences that read his stories know during the Fire and Blood press tour that Aegon knew about the others. Uh, there are very light hints throughout the story, Fire and Blood, not heavy. They're not heavy-handed at all. They're, you know, you have to really love the text to, I think, see them. Because even I missed a lot of them. The first read-through, I wasn't looking for that necessarily. And because yeah, it's in a different POV structure than what we're used to, same. it's very different. Uh, you can see some of that in the Alisand and Silverwing at the wall, for example, and some of what Aegon did. Uh. And even, I mean, I think there might be some connotations for Jacari's here. Jacari's my very strong son of Rhaenyra, and going north to Sarah Snow. Yeah. Yeah. So lots of interesting takes on this prophecy. I, for one, am exhausted with it, though. Like, I know this is going to be the talk of the town. We're going to talk about the prophecy probably all season, because it looks like it's in the future weeks as well. So I don't have a ton to say about it. I think there's some connotations involved for what this means. But Viserys, uh, you know, he he's about to lay some, some truth on Rhaenyra as he says, hey... So you want to be my heir, right? You're cool with being an heir? If so, here's like, everything uh, that comes with it. All the dark secrets. <laughs> uh, she's like, uh, she's like, yeah, I do. And that it means dad loves me, but. Maybe it means I have to be some sort of savior. I'm not ready for too. So Alicent cloaks her before the big ceremony, which is marriage in the Song of Ice and Fire universe. Yes, so yes. Alicent and Rhaenyra got married in episode one, season one. The heirs of the dragon. I don't make the rules. Lady Gwyn from Radio Westeros taught me this. Um, that's what this means metaphorically. Sansa yep. and Sandor. Anyways, they all taught me this. Borum and Baratheon, Rick and Stark, Corlys, all bow to her. Um, but they bow. Yeah, I mean, I guess they get on one knee, right, at the ceremony to the pledge. Swearing. But then at the end, they only all bow. And I was like, that seems a little small. I want something more grandiose. Come on, y'all. A little bit. A little bit. Why are they not on their knees? And I've noticed I it's agree. not even just that. There's a shot in the weeks to come where Viserys is exiting a carriage with Alicent. She's fucking pregnant as shit. Like, so pregnant. Like, so that girl pregnant. But he exits the carriage and they all, like, do a half bow. They don't even kneel in the weeks to come yeah. shot. And I'm like, 
What the? Where's the fucking pride here? Kneel for your king. Give a full bow. And also, it was so short, right? I was like, where's the, you know, the scene in Mulan where everyone gets on the ground? I'm like, everyone, get on your... Like, this is important. Put your is... face on the ground. Yeah, lick her fucking I mean, shoes. They I, look expensive. I actually feel that way a little. About oh my this god, um, um, that is a bummer. Like I know that's a silly thing to get, but maybe it just didn't work out for choreography in general and the way the cameras are set and like they the were, didn't the want. Yeah, they didn't want to film in that way. But it does feel like a letdown. I'm like, that's your fucking queen, mate. Yeah, respect. I, Interestingly, she doesn't look, you know, you're talking about, like, the responsibility of it. And we are. I am going to talk about the prophecy a little, but not in terms of what it means for A Song of Ice and Fire, the main story, but what it means for this story. But she doesn't really smile. She doesn't look mm-hmm. happy at this at this pledging ceremony. This is a heavy fucking crown to wear. I mean, yeah. it does actually look heavy. But it's not a light thing to take on i mean it's good that she isn't just da 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 happy go lucky about it that would be a bad sign worse than the signs for everything else to come (laughs) she has crown braids which uh i'm sure people have talked about already oh i love her crown braids yeah Yeah. i tried to do crown braids on myself don't try to do crown braids on yourself Uh, it's they're heavy literal heavy like they're hard to do mm -hmm. my hands hurt when i do them my arms were so tired and my hair is very thick so it's a lot (laughs) they'd make good crown braids though they do, and that's because she has maids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is exactly it. As these lords are swearing, specifically when Rickon Stark kneels down <laughs> and is swearing to her, uh, it cuts back to the prophecy. And Viserys says this, Ambition alone is not what drove him to conquest. It was a dream, just as Daenys foresaw the end of Valyria Aegon foresaw the end of the world of men. It is to begin with a terrible winter gusting out of the distant north. Aegon saw absolute darkness riding on those winds, and whatever dwells within will destroy the world of the living. When this great winter comes, Rhaenyra, all of Westeros must stand against it, and if the world of men is to survive, a Targaryen must be seated on the Iron Throne. A king, or queen, strong enough to unite the realm against the cold and the dark, Aegon called his dream the Song of Ice and Fire. What? This secret has been passed from king to heir since Aegon's time, and now you must promise to carry it and protect it. Keep it secret, keep it safe. And of course, in that moment, after he says that, it flashes back to him at the heir, coronation, whatever ceremony. He says, promise me, Rhaenyra. Yo, what could it mean? Anyways, what what does it mean? What does it mean? You know what's hurtful? That all this language of terrible wind gusting, riding on those... Winds, winds of winter, winter? hurtful uh, hurtful i felt that when we watched it i did feel that yes <sighs> like this is an attack against me, me. <laughs> yeah all of us really yeah. and yeah so what i like about we're bringing prophecies ha. they actually are playing a role in the story the the original series game of thrones removed a lot of the magic from the books right they didn't really lean into any of that and I mean, the magic and the prophecies have a purpose, right? They they can be a huge part of characterization and motivation. And that's how this prophecy operates here, which is exactly how it should, right? Like in the way that it does in Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. The prophecies in Macbeth are kind of what drive him to take the actions. They don't happen like if he didn't listen to them, he's like, that's really silly. The prophecies would have never come to pass. And I'm not saying this is a self-fulfilling prophecy, but I'm saying that they drive character and motivation and action and the story forward. And they also create a sense of irony, right? Because 
Viserys could have had his heir, he could have had his wife and a happy family if he and not just kept Emma breeding. <laughs> right? He had all of that and he chooses to hurt and have an active part in killing his wife. You can choose she could have just she would have just died, but he chooses mm-hmm. to be take an active role in leading to her death because of this prophecy. And that creates a sense of irony and tragedy in that he didn't have to. He loses his son anyway. And I don't think it's supposed to just it doesn't justify him. It actually kind of is like, oh, it's kind of worse. And it's going to play a role in Rhaenyra's characterization, right? We, again, we're hearing that Millie Alcock and Emma Darcy have said that Rainier is conflicted about her motherhood and being forced into that. Again, part of it being from the trauma of her mother. But now she's going to be like, oh god, we need to have enough Targaryens that some of them are going to make it for whenever this happens. Someone's so they gotta, can tell the heir. Right? Someone's got to unite this realm. And so she keeps having children, even though that's not what she wanted. She wanted to be a knight. She mm-hmm. wanted to eat cake. <laughs> she wanted to have her cake. Alicent and eat her too. Whoa. Well, I mean, am I wrong? Uh, that that seemed what that scene was about. Am I wrong? If I'm wrong, maybe they shouldn't be baiting me into it. Uh, uh, they are baiting, but um, I mean, it, it full force. It adds such a dimension to this story that wasn't yeah. quite there before. So, if you've read the Princess and the Queen or the Rogue Prince, that's one thing. If you've read Fire and Blood, that's the next step. If you're watching this, this is a third dimension to add on to this story, especially with this prophecy, in my opinion. Like, I think it makes it so much deeper of just character motivations. I mean, Alicent and Rhaenyra both are going to think that they're birthing the princes that were promised. Yeah. That's very apparent. That's so apparent. And prophecy is a sword without a hilt. Yeah. Speaking of weapons. Speaking of weapons. Unless, did you have more to say? Yeah, I was Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. No, sorry. Okay. no, no. I mean, you look at the kings to come, and each one of them do some crazy fucking shit. Right? Aegon the Unlikely. Summerhall. What could it mean? Mm-hmm. What was he chasing? Baylor. Did some fucked up shit for his sisters? Some religious icon shit? Thought he was, like, the one? Where'd that come from? There's just every single one of them has a little bit of a thought. Hell. I yeah. would never defend Aegon for, but legitimizes all of his bastards on his deathbed. Oh my god. You know? Could be. Interesting, interesting. They have the blood of the dragon. That is really interesting. And it's funny because they all always think it's themselves, right? And tunnel I, vision. Complete tunnel vision. I almost wonder, will Rhaenyra not think it's her? And that's why she keeps making errors or something? Because she's been told her whole, whole life until now, like, it's not gonna be you. You girl. <laughs> it also adds another dimension of that blood purity, for example, and that, you know, in fucking Laner, quote unquote, which doesn't happen, um, but, you know, in bearing his children and bringing them to the court, Allison's line, do keep trying. Maybe someday you'll get one that looks like you from the books. Like, that is yeah. a, wow, Allison, crazy bitch, you out here, I like that for you. Like, she's crazy and problematic, and I love that for her, but... That line specifically is like, that adds a whole dimension to the blood purity between the Targaryens and, you know, what they upkept from Valyria. Like, yes, that was already tradition, but upkeeping it in Westeros was important to them. Why? Makes you wonder, is it not only one layer of, like, her having the strong boys 
maybe they're not enough, prophetically speaking, too, to her. Like, maybe she realizes she needs pure blood. For, or she thinks it. Like, who knows what she's... She could be thinking anything. We've never seen her thoughts on a paper. We're gonna find out. We're gonna find out. I'm I don't, excited. I don't necessarily know if that, like, matters at all. But the blood purity makes me think. Maybe they thought that by keeping that line pure, they would be closer to finding the chosen one when that bad time, 172 years from now, comes. Yeah, I don't really know. I don't know. And, um... Or is it just because everyone... Keeps telling her, you have a royal womb. You know? And... Well, also can't trust anyone else besides Targaryens. Hmm. Yeah, but apparently can't trust them either, as we mm-hmm. see from the Dance of the Dragons. Yeah, I guess the big <laughs> final thing, you know, me and you were watching that after show. Um, Which we don't know what it's called. I think it's after the show. I oh, don't really? know. But they talk about the cat's paw dagger and how it has kind of some runes on it. And that this dagger, the runes on the dagger, tell the story of the prophecy. Yeah, it's like they said that the prophecy is imbued or something in the tiger. And I was like, wait, does it have runes? And you recently sent me. They actually worked on, they they made runes for mm-hmm. the show. Just <laughs> for the show. So weaponry with those runes inlaid on it. I mean, that feels, who knows what it means, what it means for any of text. However, hey, season eight makes sense now. No, I'm just kidding. I'm uh, just kidding. Don't no. be mad at me. Oh my God. Uh, a lot of it really still does not. No, a lot of it really doesn't. But but HBO knows that, which is why they read the books this time and had George take an active role. Uh, they want to do it right. Yeah. We're just saying what HBO is thinking. Yeah. They speak with our mouths. Wait. Wait, wait no. Wait. Um, uh, we are not sponsored by HBO. We do not get garbage trucks full of money dumped to our we doors weekly. Not. I mean, if they want to, though. We're open to the garbage trucks and money. Are you still yeah. open to the money? Yeah. yeah. Okay. We're open, HBO. Oh, my God. But. <laughs> but. If we don't seem critical enough, um, I think I'm just excited. I think there are things that I would, of course, criticize. Like, there were some, I know some people felt like some of the ending scenes felt tacked on. And I'm like, eh. Yeah, kind of. I mean, it felt suddenly like they rushed it. But I, but I do think that prophecy did have to be in this episode to give that motivate character Rization for Viserys and set up. I mean, it felt Rainier. cinematic. It, it, felt, it did. It felt cinematic. Me and you were watching it, and it was over, and we both were like, "Shit, yeah. wait, we have to wait a week." It felt like a movie. Um, I, I was engrossed. I felt yeah. like every scene. I mean, it was well paced. Nothing dragged too long. Uh, my, in fact, my only criticism would have been it was overstuffed. However, I think it was yeah. all stuff you needed to cover. It was really fast. I have no idea how it would feel to a viewer who has never mm-hmm. read the books because I'm like. There were a lot of people and a lot of different things with world building, but thankfully they don't have to do all the heavy lifting because some of the world has been established. Yeah. And not only that, but then also I I think they were heavy handed in the first episode, but they weren't in a bad way. Like it was concise and clear that they were like, this is this person. This is their name. We're saying it in passing, but in an important statement that tells you something about this character. Okay, next scene. Hey, look, there's that character we talked about. And it reiterated it well. It reinforced characters and their names and their roles. And I think that they'll be able to balance it moving forward. My only worry is, like, is it hurry up and wait? Because now we have, what, an episode to get them to Stepstones, because that'll be a big thing going on. And then two episodes of the Stepstones? I don't want that. I don't know if it's two episodes of the Stepstones, but it has to be, like, I think, I assume, wrapped up in the next, like, Mm -hmm. two episodes, because it was already brought up in this episode. Yeah. Episode three, maybe. Uh, Yeah, it's just also, that is something that I am worried about. Is the whole whole season going to feel too rushed? They're covering... 
huge spans of time. We know there's going to be a time skip. They're covering a bunch of different things that happen over like, I don't know, 10 to 20 year old year period mm-hmm. throughout all of it, right? This is linear, but not close together. Not at all. Which I think is, I mean, to be fair, they did do the Emma Aaron thing this episode and they flattened the ages just to kind of bring that to light. And I think, I think this episode covered a lot of that. In fact, this episode covered a lot of stuff I did not expect to be covered. Yeah. Agree. Um, agree. And it makes the most sense for characterizations, how they did it. Like Alice and Rhaenyra, you wouldn't give a shit about them if they didn't do it this way. Because the dance is not full of great people. It's full of a lot of scheming and drama and pettiness back and forth and backstabbing. And you need to like them a little at the front for it to make you feel something. And you don't really in the books. You know, like, I mean, we like Rhaenyra because we're girl bosses. Gone canon. But, it, <laughs> like, you, they're not great people. Like, you get through the book, you get to the mid-end, and without... This whole thought of like, oh, they all think they're the savior. They're just assholes with dragons. Yeah, I didn't really comment on it, but I now see why that reviewer said, yeah, everyone's like a really kind of great. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good Mm -hmm. thing. I don't need someone to like root for, but I can see what that means now after we see how Viserys was portrayed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's kind of hard to like support him after that. It's great. I mean, it's really great. It's a great way to bring him as the ruler uh, and complicate him right at the front like that. Yeah. I mean, I don't support Viserys. I, I'm not going to like him. But I think he's they've done a fantastic portrayal. Mm-hmm. And as you said, deepening Patty. No wonder George is so excited about Patty Constantine's like, performance. Like He's like, oh my god. You know, 10 million people tuned in last night to really? watch this live. I love that one That one uh, little video someone took of New York where all, you can see like all yes. the apartment buildings flashing yes. at the same time because they're all watching it. Uh, to, it's so good. You know, I mean, to put it into context, Game of Thrones, I mean, season seven finale was 16.9 million people. Uh, Winterfell, episode one of season eight, when it premiered April 14th, 11.8 million people watched it live. Like, as it aired. Hmm. So we're already close to those numbers. I think that House of the Dragon, if they continue at this pace with this level of cinema, uh, <laughs> this level of just, like, gorgeous decadence, this opulent set, and these actors and this drama, I think it'll surpass Game of Thrones. I don't think a lot of people think that, but I feel pretty fucking confident that it will. I think it could, but I don't think it will have the same cultural impact Mm -hmm. no agreed because game of thrones changed the game of thrones (laughs) game changer of thrones i mean it really did right like sci-fi and fantasy wasn't taken seriously as a visual medium until game of thrones you can't and lord of the rings and lord of the rings but yeah yeah yeah. there's for tv i mean it changed the way we watch tv not just through fantasy and sci-fi and all these ideas but it changed every way we watch tv I mean, everyone wanted yeah. to make their show the next Game of Thrones and look for the next way to make it an epic high fantasy. And and then they were like, I don't want it to actually end like Game of Thrones. So like, yeah. I don't want it to be. Never mind. Sorry. Go ahead. I do think that House of the Dragon will overcome a lot of those issues that Game of Thrones had with storytelling and plot and everything. And that comes from a budget that comes from an expanded writer's room. Um, but they have a lot of pros. Going from so far, Mm -hmm. I think it was a magical first episode. I think George should feel really proud of what he's created because that was just beautiful to see on TV. It was a love letter to A Song of Ice and Fire fans. 
Yeah. There was so yes. much in this yes. that was such a love letter to us. I look forward to the rest of the season. It was also an attack with uh, those references to Winds of Winter. But otherwise, a love letter. A love also, letter. Also that. But isn't a love letter also an attack? A little Think bit. Of Damon. Sometimes. Think of Damon. Sometimes, I mean, like, some of, you read some author's love letters or, like, other famous people's love letters, and you're like, Crazy this, is, this is something. <sighs> Thanks so much for listening. You guys, we will be back next week. Every week, we will be posting our episodes. You should see them, I think, uh, Tuesday nights? Tuesdays, somewhere around there. Keep your eyes peeled. But we will be posting these for you weekly during House of the Dragons. And also be sure to check out our main series, our Song of Ice and Fire POV coverage. Indeed, indeed. And if you want to keep up to date with when those episodes come out, be sure to follow us on social media. You can find us at Girls Gone Canon on Twitter. That's Girls Gone Canon, C-A-N-O-N. Or maybe you have thoughts. Feel free to shoot us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Yes, and make sure you're subscribed to us on a platform, a podcast listening platform near you. We're on all of the major ones like Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, uh, and the the Amazon podcasts. You name it, you'll find us. Give us a Google. Or you can also check us out at our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Girls Gone Canon gets you a private RSS feed with a backlog of bonus episodes. Almost 50 bonus episodes, actually. Yeah, about A Song of Ice and Fire, His Dark Materials, and a couple other series and books and stories that we really love. So we urge you to check that out. Stranger Tier and Above, $5 and up, will get access to that. But if you join in the Thunder Tier, the $10 tier, you are in for a world of fun at our Discord world of ice and fire fun and yes that is a thunder tear the sound of thundering hooves but hopefully not <laughs> anything bad happening yes on our discord they are going to be doing weekly discussions yeah hosted by our friend and very impartial host maddie she's very impartial she loves no sides in this war is this a joke? <laughs> and uh, she's a great host, though. I'm excited for her to host these. Yes. And not only that, but we do a monthly brunch happy hour where we have a drink with everyone, chit-chat. That's August 28th, 2 to 4 ET, 2 p.m. ET for the discussions weekly on Fridays. And, yeah, I think that's that's it. Oh, There's and, other activities, you know? Yeah. Like, I think um, some people are organizing a Breaking Bad watch slash rewatch because I only got up to somewhere in season two and then, like... It's not because I didn't like the show. Something just happened and, like, I mm-hmm. didn't continue, right? Like, Time to go back. Yeah, and I, I actually have always really wanted to finish it. So some people will be watching while I will be watching for the first time. And then, of course, at some point, HBO promised me that the His Dark Materials final season is coming out. <laughs> they, they showed new scenes. Yeah, during this. this. During this. It was awesome. Yeah, we, uh, I can't wait for that. We'll be covering that, too. So if you're into that. Make sure you subscribe to us below. As always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. (laughs) What is this? (laughs) Are you not? Uh, The dragon... I'm still singing it. Oh my god. I can't whistle it. I can't whistle it. I get Aggie. No, I can't whistle. I can do a high-pitched dog whistle, but that's it. Mm-mm, I can't do any. Mm. Mm. We'll, we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>